0: Hello there, and welcome to Down to Sleep. This is the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm so happy to have you here, wherever you are in the world. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the app that you listen on. It really helps. This week's episode is the first half of a complete reading of The Wind in the Willows. This is one of my favorite books that we have read on the podcast so far, It is perfectly cosy and sleepy to help you get a better rest tonight. This podcast is free every week on Spotify and podcast apps. You can hear the second half of this audiobook next week. If you'd like to get even more readings, support this podcast and get versions with rain sounds, full audiobooks, and two episodes every single week. Join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. It's just a few dollars a month to support this podcast get access to over 130 readings, and even vote on what book I read next. Thank you. Let's begin. The mole had been working very hard all morning, spring-cleaning his little home, first with brooms, then with dusters, then on ladders and steps and chairs with a brush and a pail of whitewash, till he had dust in his throat and eyes and splashes of whitewash all over his black fur, and an aching back. And weary arms Spring was moving in the air above And in the earth below And around him Penetrating even his dark And lowly little house With its spirit of divine Discontent and longing It was small wonder then That he suddenly flung down His brush on the floor said Bother and oh blow And also Hang spring cleaning and bolted out of the house without even waiting to put on his coat. Something up above was calling him imperiously, and he made for the steep little tunnel, which answered in his case to the gravelled carriage drive owned by animals, whose residences are nearer to the sun and air. So he scraped and scratched and scrabbled and scrooged, and then when he scrooged again and scrabbled and scratched and scraped, working busily with his little paws and muttering to himself, "'Up we go, up we go, till at last, pop!' His snout came out into the sunlight, and he found himself rolling in the warm grass of a great meadow. "'This is fine,' he said to himself. "'This is better than whitewashing.' The sunshine struck hot on his fur. Soft breezes caressed his heated brow, and after the seclusion of the cellarage he had lived in for so long, the carol of happy birds fell on his dulled hearing almost like a shout. Jumping off all his forelegs at once in the joy of living, the delight of spring without its cleaning, he pursued his way across the meadow, till he reached a hedge on the further side. Hold up, said an elderly rabbit at the gap, Sixpence for the privilege of passing by the private road. He was bowled over in an instant by the impatient and contemptuous mole, who trotted along the side of the hedge, chaffing the other rabbits as they peeped hurriedly from their holes to see what the row was about. Onion sauce, onion sauce, he remarked jeeringly, and was gone before they could think of a thoroughly satisfactory reply. They all started grumbling at each other, how stupid you are, why didn't you tell him, well, why didn't you say, you might have reminded him, and so on, in the usual way. But of course it was then much too late, as is always the case. It all seemed too good to be true. Hither and thither through the meadows he rambled busily, along the hedgerows, across the copses, finding everywhere birds building, flowers budding, leaves thrusting, everything happy, and progressive, and occupied, and instead of having an uneasy conscience pricking him and whispering, whitewash, he somehow could only feel how jolly it was to be the only idle dog among all these busy citizens. After all, the best part of a holiday is perhaps not so much to be resting yourself as to see all the other fellows busy working. He thought his happiness was complete, when, as he meandered aimlessly along, suddenly he stood by the edge of a full-fed river. Never in his life had he seen a river before. This sleek, sinuous, full-bodied animal chasing and chuckling, gripping things with a gurgle, and leaving them with a laugh to fling itself on fresh playmates that shook themselves free, and were caught and held again. All was a shake and a shiver, glints and gleams and sparkles, rustle and swirl, chatter and bubble. The mole was bewitched, entranced, fascinated. By the side of the river he trotted as one trots when very small, by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories, and when tired at last he sat on the bank, the river still chatted on to him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world, sent from the heart of the earth to be told at last to the insatiable sea. As he sat on the grass and looked across the river, a dark hole in the bank opposite just above the water's edge caught his eye. Dreamily he fell to considering what a nice snug dwelling place it would make for an animal with few wants, fond of a bijou riverside residence, above flood level, remote from noise and dust. As he gazed, something bright and small seemed to twinkle down in the heart of it, vanished, then twinkled once more like a tiny star. But it could hardly be a star in such an unlikely situation— and it was too glittering and small for a glow-worm. Then, as he looked at it, it winked at him, and so declared itself to be an eye, and a small face began gradually to grow up around it, like a frame around a picture. A brown little face with whiskers, a grave round face with the same twinkle in its eye that had first attracted his notice— "'small neat ears and thick, silky hair. "'It was the water rat.' "'Then the two animals stood and regarded each other cautiously. "'Hello, Mole,' said the water rat. "'Hello, Rat,' said the Mole. "'Would you like to come over?' inquired the Rat presently. "'Oh, it's all very well to talk,' said the Mole rather pettishly, "'he being new to a river and riverside life in its ways.' The rat said nothing, but stooped and unfastened a rope and hauled on it, and lightly stepped into a little boat, which the mole had not observed. It was painted blue outside and white within, and just the size for two animals. The mole's heart went out to it at once, even though he did not yet fully understand its uses. The rat sculled smartly across and made fast. He held up his forepaw as the mole stepped gingerly down. Lean on that, he said. Now then, step lively. And the mole, to his surprise and rapture, found himself seated in the stern of a real boat. This has been a wonderful day, said he, as the rat shoved off and took off to the sculls again. Do you know I've never been in a boat before in all my life? What? cried the rat, open-mouthed. Never been in a—you never—well, what have you been doing, then? Is it so nice as all that? asked the mole shyly. He was quite prepared to believe it as he leant back in his seat and surveyed the cushions, the oars, the rowlocks, the fascinating fittings, and felt the boat sway lightly under him. Nice. It's the only thing, said the water rat solemnly as he leant forward for his stroke. Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolute nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. Simply messing, he went on dreamily. Messing about in boats, messing in boats. Look ahead, rat, cried the mole suddenly. It was too late. The boat struck the bank full tilt the dreamer, the joyous oarsman, lay on his back at the bottom of the boat, his heels in the air. About in boats or with boats, the rat went on composedly, picking himself up with a pleasant laugh. In or out of them, doesn't matter. Nothing seems really to matter, that's the charm of it, whether you get away or whether you don't, whether you arrive at your destination or whether you reach somewhere else, whether you never get anywhere at all or are always busy and you never do anything in particular when you've done it there's always something else to do and you can do it if you like but you'd much better not look here if you've really nothing else on hand this morning we could drop down the river together have a long day of it the mole waggled his toes from sheer happiness spread his chest with a sigh full of contentment leaned back blissfully into the soft cushions What a day I'm having he said Let us start at once. Hold hard a minute then, said the rat. He looped the painter through a ring in his landing stage, climbed up into his hole above, and after a short interval, reappeared staggering under a fat wicker luncheon basket. Shove that under your feet, he observed to the mole. He passed it down onto the boat. He untied the painter, took the skulls again. What's inside it? asked the mole wriggling with curiosity. "'There's cold chicken inside it,' replied the rat briefly. "'Cold tongue, cold ham, cold beef, pickled gherkins, salad French rolls, sandwich, spotted ginger ale, lemonade, soda water—stop, stop!' cried the mole in ecstasies. "'This is too much.' "'Do you really think so?' inquired the rat. "'It's only what I always take on these little excursions.' The other animal's always telling me I'm a mean beast and I cut it very fine. The mole never heard a word he was saying, absorbed in the new life that he was entering upon, intoxicated with the sparkle, the ripple, the scents and the sounds and the sunlight. He trailed a paw in the water and dreamed long-waking dreams the water-rat, like the good little fellow that he was sculled steadily on, and forbore to disturb him. "'I like your clothes, awfully old chap,' he remarked, after some half an hour or so had passed. "'I'm going to get a black velvet smoking suit myself one day, as soon as I can afford it.' "'I beg your pardon,' said the mole, pulling himself together with an effort. "'You must think me very rude. All this is so new to me, so this is a river.' THE river, corrected the rat And you really live by the river What what a jolly life By it, with it On it, in it, said the rat It's brother and sister to me And aunts and company Food and drink Naturally washing It's my world I don't want any other What it hasn't got is not worth having And what it doesn't know is not worth knowing Lord, the times That we've had together whether in winter or summer, spring or autumn. It's always got its fun and its excitements. When the floods are on in February and my cellars and basements are brimming with drink that's no good to me, the brown water runs by my best bedroom window, or again it all drops away, shows patches of mud that smell like plum cake. The rushes and weed clog the channels and I can potter about dry shot over most of the bed of it and find fresh food to eat. Things that careless people have dropped out of boats isn't it a bit dull at times the mole ventured to ask just you and the river and no one else to pass a word with no one else to well I mustn't be hard on you said the rat with a forbearance you're new to it of course you don't know the bank is so crowded nowadays that many people are moving away altogether oh no it isn't what it used to be at all otters kingfishers dab chicks more hens all of them all about all day long always wanting you to do something as if a fellow had no business of his own to attend to what lies over there Asked the mole waving a paw towards a background of woodland darkly framed water meadows on one side of the river that oh that's just the wild wildwood said the rat shortly we don't go there very much we riverbankers "'Aren't they... aren't they very nice people in there?' said the mole, a trifle nervously. "'Well,' replied the rat, "'let me see. "'The squirrels are all right, and the rabbits, some of them, but rabbits are mixed a lot. "'And then there's the badger, of course. "'He lives right in the heart of it. "'Wouldn't live anywhere else either if you paid him to do it, dear old badger. "'Nobody interferes with him. "'They'd better not,' he added significantly.' Why, "'Why, who should interfere with him?' asked the mole. "'Well, of course, there are others,' explained the rat in a hesitating sort of way. "'Weasels, stoats, foxes, so on. "'They're all right in a way, very good friends with them. "'Past the time of day when we meet and all that, but they break out sometimes, there's no denying it, "'and then, well, you can't really trust them, and that's a fact.' The mole knew well that it was quite against animal etiquette to dwell on possible trouble ahead, or even to allude to it, so he dropped the subject. And beyond the wild wood again, he asked, where it's all blue and dim, and one sees what may be hills, or perhaps they mayn't, something like the smoke of towns, or is it only a cloud drift? Beyond the wild wood comes the wide world, said the rat. And that's something that doesn't matter to you or me. I've never been there, and I'm never going. Nor you either, if you've got any sense at all. Don't ever refer to it again, please. Now then, here's our backwater at last, where we're going to have lunch. Leaving the main stream, they now passed into what seemed at first like a little landlocked lake. Green turf sloped down to either edge brown, snaky tree roots gleamed below the surface of the quiet water, while ahead of them the silvery shoulder and foamy tumble of a weir, arm in arm with a restless dripping mill-wheel, that held up in its turn a grey-gabled mill-house, filled the air with a soothing murmur of sound, dull, smothery, yet with little, clear voices speaking up cheerfully at intervals. It was so very beautiful. The mole could only hold up both four paws and gasp. Oh my, oh my, oh my. The rat brought the boat alongside the bank, made her fast, helped the still awkward mole safely ashore, and swung out the luncheon basket. The mole begged as a favour to be allowed to unpack it all by himself and... The rat was very pleased to indulge him, to sprawl at full length on the grass and rest, while his excited friend shook out the tablecloth and spread it, took out all the mysterious packets one by one and arranged their contents in due order, still gasping, oh my, oh my, at each fresh revelation. When all was ready, the rat said, now pitch in, old fellow, and the mole was indeed very glad to obey. For he had started his spring cleaning at a very early hour that morning, as people will do, and had not paused for bite or sup. And he had been through a very great deal since that distant time which now seemed so many days ago. What are you looking at? said the rat presently, when the edge of their hunger was somewhat dulled, and the mole's eyes were able to wander off the tablecloth a little. I am looking, said the mole. "'At a streak of bubbles that I see travelling along the surface of the water, "'that is a thing that strikes me as funny.' "'Bubbles?' said the rat, and chirruped cheerily in an inviting sort of way. "'A broad, glistening muzzle showed itself above the edge of the bank, "'and the otter hauled himself out and shook the water from his coat.' "'Greedy beggars,' he observed, making for the provender. "'Why didn't you invite me, ratty?' "'This was an impromptu affair,' explained the rat. "'By the way, my friend, Mr. Mole.' "'Proud, I'm sure,' said the otter, "'and the two animals were friends forthwith.' "'Such a rumpus everywhere,' continued the otter. "'All the world seems out on the river today. "'Came up this backwater to try and get a moment's peace "'and stumble upon you fellows.' At least I beg pardon, I don't exactly mean that, you know There was a rustle behind them Proceeding from a hedge wherein Last year's leaves still clung thick And a stripy head With high shoulders behind it peered forth on them Come on, old badger, shouted the rat The badger trotted forward a pace or two And grunted, Hm company And turned his back and disappeared from view "'That's just the sort of fellow he is,' observed the disappointed rat. "'Simply hates society. "'Now we shan't see any more of him today. "'Well, tell us, who's out on the river?' "'Toad's out for one,' replied the otter. "'In his brand new wager boat, new togs, new everything.' "'The two animals looked at each other and laughed. "'Once it was nothing but sailing,' said the rat. "'Then he tired of that and took to punting.' "'Nothing would please him but to punt all day and every day. "'A nice mess he made of it. "'Last year it was houseboating, "'and we all had to go and stay with him in his houseboat "'and pretend that we liked it. "'He was going to spend the rest of his life in a houseboat. "'It's all the same. "'Whatever he takes up, he gets tired of it "'and starts on something fresh. "'Such a good fellow, too,' remarks the otter reflectively. "'No stability, though, especially in a boat.' From where they sat, they could get a glimpse of the main stream across the island that separated them. And just then, a wager boat flashed into view. The rower, a short, stout figure splashing badly and rolling a good deal, but working his hardest. The rat stood up and hailed him, but Toad, for it was he, shook his head and settled sternly to his work. He'll be out of the boat in a minute if he rolls like that, said the rat, sitting down again. Of course he will, chuckled the otter. Did I ever tell you that good story about Toad and the lockkeeper? It happened this way. Toad, an errant mayfly, swerved unsteadily athwart the current in the intoxicated fashion affected by young bloods of mayflies seeing life. A swirl of water in a cloop, and the mayfly was visible no more. Neither was the otter. The mole looked down. The voice was still in his ears, but the turf whereupon he had sprawled was clearly vacant, not an otter to be seen as far as the distant horizon. But again there was a streak of bubbles on the surface of the water. The rat hummed a tune, and the mole recollected that animal etiquette forbade any sort of comment on the sudden disappearance of one's friends at any moment, for any reason. "'or no reason whatever.' "'Well, well,' said the rat. "'I suppose we ought to be moving. "'I wonder which of us had better pack the luncheon basket.' "'He did not speak as if he was frightfully eager for the treat.' "'Oh, please, let me,' said the mole. "'So, of course, the rat let him. "'Packing the basket was not quite such pleasant work as unpacking the basket. "'It never is.' but the mole was bent on enjoying everything. And although just when he had got the basket packed and strapped up tightly, he saw a plate staring up at him from the grass. And when the job had been done again, the rat pointed out a fork, which anybody ought to have seen, and last of all behold the mustard pot, which he had been sitting on without knowing it. Still, Somehow the thing got finished at last without much loss of temper. The afternoon sun was getting low as the rat sculled gently homewards in a dreamy mood, murmuring poetry things over to himself and not paying much attention to Mole. But the Mole was very full of lunch and self-satisfaction and pride, and already quite at home in a boat, so he thought. "'and was getting a bit restless besides, "'and presently he said, "'Ratty, please, I want to row now.' "'The rat shook his head with a smile. "'Not yet, my young friend. "'Wait till you've had a few lessons. "'It's not as easy as it looks.' "'The mole was quiet for a minute or two, "'but he began to feel more and more jealous of Rat, "'sculling so strongly and so easily along.' his pride began to whisper that he could do it every bit as well. He jumped up and seized the skull so suddenly that the rat who was gazing out over the water and saying more poetry things to himself was taken by surprise and fell backwards off his seat, with his legs in the air for the second time, while the triumphant mole took his place and grabbed the skulls with entire confidence. Stop it, you silly ass, cried the rat from the bottom of the boat you can't do it you'll have us over the mole flung his skulls back with a flourish and made a great dig at the water he missed the surface altogether his legs flew up above his head and he found himself lying on the top of the prostrate rat greatly alarmed he made a grab at the side of the boat and the next moment sploosh over went the boat and he found himself struggling in the river. Oh my, how cold the water was, and oh, how very wet it felt. How it sang in his ears as he went down, down, down. How bright and welcome the sun looked as he rose to the surface, coughing and spluttering. How black was his despair when he felt himself sinking again. Then a firm paw gripped by the back of his neck it was the rat and he was evidently laughing the mole could feel him laughing right down his arm through his paw and onto his mole neck the rat got hold of a skull and shoved it under the mole's arm did the same by the other side of him and swimming behind propelled the helpless animal to shore Hauled him out set him down on the bank a squashy pulpy lump of misery when the rat had rubbed him down a bit and wrung some of the wet out of him he said now then old fellow trot up and down the towing path as hard as you can till you're warm and dry again while i dive for the luncheon basket so the dismal mole wet without and ashamed within trotted about till he was fairly dry while the rat plunged into the water again, recovered the boat, righted her and made her fast, fetched his floating property to shore by degrees, and finally dived successfully for the luncheon basket and struggled to land with it. When all was ready for a start once more, the mole, limp and dejected, took his seat in the stern of the boat as they set off. He said in a low voice broken with emotion, Ratty, my generous friend, I am very sorry indeed for my foolish and ungrateful conduct. My heart quite fails me when I think how I might have lost that beautiful luncheon basket. Indeed, I have been a complete ass, and I know it. Will you overlook it this once and forgive me, and let things go on as before? that's all right bless you responded the rat cheerily what's a little wet to a water rat i'm more in the water than out of it most days don't you think any more about it and look here i really think you had better come and stop with me for a little time it's very plain and rough you know not like toad's house at all but you haven't seen that yet still i can make you comfortable and i'll teach you to row and to swim and you'll soon be as handy on the water as any of us The mole was so touched by his kind manner of speaking he could find no voice to answer him and he had to brush away a tear or two with the back of his paw. But the rat kindly looked in another direction. Presently the mole's spirits revived again and he was even able to give some straight back talk to a couple of moorhens who were sniggering to each other about his bedraggled appearance. When they got home The rat made a bright fire in the parlour, planted the mole in an armchair in front of it, having fetched down a dressing gown and slippers for him and told him river stories till supper time. Very thrilling stories they were, too, to an earth-dwelling animal like Mole. Stories about weirs and sudden floods and leaping pike, steamers that flung hard bottles, At least bottles were certainly flung, and from streamers, so presumably by them. And about herons, and how particular they were, whom they spoke to. And about adventures down drains, night fishing with otter, excursions far afield with badger. Supper was the most cheerful meal, very shortly afterwards a terribly sleepy mole had to be escorted upstairs by his considerate host to the best bedroom where he soon laid his head on his pillow in great peace and contentment knowing that his new-found friend the river was lapping the sill of his window this day was only the first of many similar ones for the emancipated mole each of them longer and full of interest as the ripening summer moved onward. He learnt to swim and to row and entered into the joy of running water and with his ear to the reed stems he caught at intervals something of what the wind went whispering so constantly among them. The open road. "'Ratty,' said the Mole suddenly, one bright summer morning, "'if you please, I want to ask you a favor." The Rat was sitting on the river bank, singing a little song. He had just composed it himself, so he was very taken up with it, and would not pay proper attention to Mole or anything else. Since early morning he had been swimming in the river, in company with his friends the ducks, and when the ducks stood on their heads suddenly, as ducks will— He would dive down and tickle their necks, just under where their chins were, if ducks had chins, till they were forced to come to the surface again in a hurry, spluttering and angry and shaking their feathers at him, for it is impossible to say quite all you feel when your head is under water. At last they implored him to go away and attend to his own affairs and leave them to mind theirs. So the rat went away and sat on a riverbank in the sun, and made up a song about them, which he called, The Duck's Ditty. All along the backwater, through the rushes tall, ducks are a-dabbling, up tails all, ducks tails, drakes tails, yellow feet a-quiver, yellow bills all out of sight, busy in the river, slushy green undergrowth, where the roach swim, here we keep our larder, cool and full and dim. Everyone, for what he likes, we like to be, heads down, tails up, dabbling, free. High in the blue above, swifts whirl and cool, we are down a-dabbling, up, tails all. I don't know that I think so very much of that little song-rat, observed the mole cautiously. He was no poet himself, and didn't care who knew it, and Had a candid nature. "'Nor don't the ducks, neither,' replied the rat cheerfully. "'They say, why can't fellows be allowed to do what they like, "'when they like and as they like, "'instead of other fellows sitting on banks and watching them all the time "'and making remarks and poetry and things about them? "'What nonsense it all is. That's what the ducks say.' "'So it is. So it is,' said the mole, with great heartiness. "'No, it isn't,' cried the rat indignantly. "'Well, then, it isn't.' "'It isn't,' replied the mole soothingly. "'But what I wanted to ask you was, won't you take me on a call to Mr. Toad? "'I've uh, heard so much about him, and I do so want to make his acquaintance.' "'Why, certainly,' said the good-natured rat, "'jumping to his feet and dismissing poetry from his mind for the day. "'Get the boat out, and we'll paddle up there at once. "'It's never the wrong time to call on Toad. "'Early or late, he's always the same fellow. "'Always good-tempered, always glad to see you.' Always sorry when you go. You must be a very nice animal, observed the mole, as he got into the boat and took the skulls, while the rat settled himself comfortably in the stern. He is indeed the best of animals, replied the rat. So simple, good-natured, and so affectionate perhaps he's not very clever we can't all be geniuses and it may be that he is both boastful and conceited but he has some great qualities has toady rounding a bend in the river they came in sight of a handsome dignified old house of mellowed red brick with well-kept lawns reaching down to the water's edge there's toad hall said the rat And that creek on the left, where the notice board says, Private, no landing allowed, that leads to its boathouse, where we'll leave the boat. The stables are over there to the right. That's the banqueting hall that you're looking at now, very old that is. Toad is rather rich, you know. And this is really one of the nicest houses in these parts, although we never admit as much to Toad. He glided up the creek and the mole shipped his skulls as they passed into the shadow of a large boathouse. Here they saw many handsome boats, slung from the crossbeams or hauled up on a slip, but none in the water, and the place had an unused and deserted air. The rat looked around him. I understand, said he. Boating is played out, he's tired of it and done with it. I wonder what new fad he's taken up now. Come along, let's look him up. We'll hear all about it quite soon enough. They disembarked and strolled across the gay flower-decked lawns in search of Toad, whom they presently happened upon resting in a wicker garden chair, with a preoccupied expression of face and a large map spread out on his knees. Hooray! he cried, jumping up on seeing them. This is splendid! He shook the paws of both of them warmly, never waiting for an introduction to Mole. "'How kind of you!' he went on, dancing around them. "'I was just going to send a boat down the river for you, ratty, "'with strict orders that you were to be fetched up here at once. "'Whatever you were doing, I want you badly. "'Both of you. "'Now, what will you take? "'Come inside and have something. "'You don't know how lucky it is you're turning up just now.' "'Let's sit quiet a bit, Toady said the rat, "'throwing himself into an easy chair while the mole took another by the side of him.' and made some civil remarks about Toad's delightful residence. Finest house on the whole river, cried Toad boisterously, or anywhere else for that matter. He could not help adding. Here the rat nudged the mole. Unfortunately, the Toad saw him do it, and turned very red. There was a moment's painful silence, and then Toad burst out laughing. All right, ratty, he said. It's only my way you know, and it's not such a very bad house, is it, you know? rather like it yourself now look here let's be sensible you are the very animals that i wanted you've got to help me it's most important it's about your rowing i suppose said the rat with an innocent air you're getting on fairly well though you splash a good bit still with a great deal of patience and any quantity of coaching you may oh poo boating interrupted the toad in great disgust silly boyish amusement i've given that up long ago sheer waste of time, that's what it is. Makes me downright sorry to see you fellows who ought to know better, spending all your energies in that aimless manner. No, I've discovered the real thing, the only genuine occupation for a lifetime. I propose to devote the remainder of mine to it, and can only regret the wasted years that lie behind me, squandered in trivialities. "'Come with me, my dear ratty, and your amiable friend also, if he will be so very good. "'Just as far as the stable-yard, and you shall see what you shall see.' "'He led the way to the stable-yard accordingly, "'the rat following with a most mistrustful expression. "'And there, drawn out of the coach-house in the open, they saw a gypsy caravan, "'shining with newness, painted a canary yellow, picked out with green and red wheels.' "'There you are,' cried the Toad, straddling and expanding himself. "'There's a real life for you, embodied in that little cart. "'The open road, the dusty highway, the heath, the common, the hedgerows, "'the rolling downs, camps, villages, towns, cities. "'Here today, up and off to somewhere else tomorrow. "'Travel, change, interest, excitement, the whole world before you, "'and a horizon that's always changing, and mind, "'this is the very finest cart of its sort that was ever built.' Without any exception. Come inside, look at the arrangements. Planned them all myself, I did. The mole was tremendously interested and excited, and followed him eagerly up the stairs and into the interior of the caravan. The rat only snorted and thrust his hands deep into his pockets, remaining where he was. It was indeed very compact and comfortable. Little sleeping bunks a little table that folded up against a wall, a cooking stove, lockers, bookshelves, a bird cage with a bird in it, pots, pans, jugs, and kettles of every size and variety. All complete, said the toad triumphantly, pulling open a locker. You see, biscuits, potted lobster, sardines, everything you could possibly want, soda water here, backy there, letter paper, bacon, jam, cards, dominoes, you'll find— He continued as they descended the steps again. You'll find that nothing whatever has been forgotten when we make our start this afternoon. I beg your pardon, said the rat slowly as he chewed a straw. Did I overhear you say something about we and start and this afternoon? Now, you dear good old ratty, said Toad imploringly, don't begin talking in that stiff and sniffy sort of way. You know you've got to come. I can't possibly manage without you, so please consider it settled and don't argue. It's the one thing I can't stand. You surely don't mean to stick to your dull, fusty old river all your life. Just live in a hole in a bank and a boat. I want to show you the world. I'm going to make an animal of you, my boy. I don't care, said the rat doggedly. I'm not coming, and that's flat. And I am going to stick to my old river and live in a hole and boat, as I've always done. And what's more— "'Mole's going to stick with me as I do it, aren't you, Mole?' "'Of course I am,' said the Mole loyally. "'I'll always stick to you, Rat, "'and what you say is to be has got to be. "'All the same, it sounds as if it might have been, "'well, rather fun, you know,' he added wistfully. "'Poor Mole. "'The life Adventurous was so new a thing to him and so thrilling. "'This fresh aspect of it was so tempting.' He had fallen in love at first sight with the canary-coloured cart and all its little fitments. The rat saw what was passing in his mind and wavered. He hated disappointing people, and he was fond of the mole, and would do almost anything to oblige him. Toad was watching both of them closely. "'Come along in and have some lunch,' he said diplomatically." We'll talk it over. We needn't decide anything in a hurry. Of course, I don't really care. I only want to give pleasure to you fellows. Live for others, that's my motto in life. During luncheon, which was excellent, of course, as everything at Toad Hall always was, the toad simply let himself go. Disregarding the rat, he proceeded to play upon the inexperienced mole as on a harp naturally a voluble animal and always mastered by his imagination he painted the prospects of the trip and the joys of the open life the roadside in such glowing colors that the mole could hardly sit in his chair for excitement somehow it soon seemed taken for granted by all three of them the trip was a settled thing and the rat though still unconvinced in his mind allowed his good nature to override personal objections He could not bear to disappoint his two friends, who were already deep in schemes and anticipations, planning out each day's separate occupation for several weeks ahead. When they were quite ready, the now triumphant Toad led his companions to the paddock, and set them to capture the old grey horse, who, without having consulted and to his own extreme annoyance, had been told off by Toad for the dustiest job in this dusty expedition, he frankly preferred the paddock, and took a deal of catching. Meantime, Toad packed the lockers still tighter with necessaries, and hung nosebags, nets of onions, bundles of hay, baskets from the bottom of the cart. At last, the horse was harnessed, and they set off, all talking at once, each animal either trudging by the side of the cart or sitting on the shaft. It was a golden afternoon. The smell of the dust they kicked up was rich and satisfying. Out of thick orchards on either side of the road, birds called and whistled to them cheerily. Good-natured wayfarers passing them gave them a good day. They stopped to say nice things about their beautiful cart, and rabbits sitting at their front doors in their hedgerows held up their forepaws and said, Oh my, oh my, oh my. Late in the evening, tired and happy and miles from home, They drew up on a remote, common, far from habitations, turned the horse loose to graze and ate their simple supper sitting on the grass by the side of the cart. Toad talked big about all he was going to do in the days to come, while stars grew fuller and larger all around them. A yellow moon appeared suddenly and silently from nowhere in particular, and it came to keep them company. "'and listened to their talk.' "'At last they turned into their little bunks "'in the cart "'and Toad, kicking out his legs sleepily, said, "'Well, good-night, you fellows. "'This is a real life for a gentleman. "'Talk about your old river.' "'I don't talk about my river,' replied the patient rat. "'You know I don't. "'But I think about it,' he added pathetically, "'in a lower tone.' I think about it all the time. The mole reached out from under his blanket, felt for the rat's paw in the darkness, and gave it a squeeze. I'll do whatever you like, ratty, he whispered. Shall we run away tomorrow morning quite early, very early, and go back to our dear old hole in the river? No, no, we'll see it out, whispered back the rat. Thanks awfully, but I ought to stick by Toad till the trip's ended. It wouldn't be safe for him. To be left by himself it won't take very long his fads never do good night the end was indeed nearer than even the rat suspected after so much open air and excitement the toad slept very soundly no amount of shaking could rouse him out of his bed the next morning so the mole and rat turned too quietly and manfully while the rat saw to the horse and lit a fire and cleaned last night's cups and platters and got things ready for breakfast, the mole trudged off to the nearest village, a long way off for milk and eggs and various necessaries that the toad had of course forgotten to provide. The hard work had all been done, and the two animals were resting thoroughly exhausted by the time Toad appeared on the scene, fresh and gay, remarking what a pleasant, easy life it was that they were all leading now after the cares and worries and fatigues of housekeeping at home. They had a pleasant ramble that day over grassy downs and along narrow by-lanes. They camped as before on a common, only this time the two guests took care that Toad should do his fair share of work. In consequence, when the time came for starting next morning, Toad was by no means so rapturous about the simplicity of primitive life and indeed attempted to resume his place in his bunk, whence he was hauled by force. Their way lay as before across the country by narrow lanes, and it was not till afternoon that they came out on the high road, their first high road, and there, disaster, fleet and unforeseen sprang out on them. Disaster momentous indeed to their expedition, but simply overwhelming in its effect on the after-career of Toad. They were strolling along the high road easily, the mole by the horse's head, talking to him, since the horse had complained that he was being frightfully left out of it, and nobody considered him in the least. The toad and the water rat walking behind the cart talking together. At least, toad was talking, and rat was saying at intervals, "'Yes, precisely,' and, "'What did you say to him?' and thinking all the time of, "'Something very different.' when far behind them they heard a faint warning hum, like the drone of a distant bee. Glancing back, they saw a small cloud of dust, with a dark centre of energy, advancing on them at incredible speed. While from out of the dust a faint poop-poop wailed like an uneasy animal in pain, hardly regarding it, they turned to resume their conversation, when in an instant, as it seemed, The peaceful scene was changed, and with a blast of wind and a whirl of sound that made them jump for the nearest ditch, it was on them. The poop-poop rang with a brazen shout in their ears. They had a moment's glimpse of an interior of glittering plate-glass and rich Morocco. A magnificent motor-car, immense, breath-snatching, passionate, with its pilot tense and hugging his wheel, possessed all the earth and air for a fraction of a second— flung an enveloping cloud of dust that blinded and enwrapped them utterly and dwindled to a speck in the far distance changing back into a droning bee once more. The old grey horse, dreaming as he plodded along of his quiet paddock in a new raw situation such as this, simply abandoned himself to his natural emotions, rearing, plunging, backing steadily in spite of all the mole's efforts at his head, and all the mole's lively language directed at his better feelings. He drove the cart backwards towards the deep ditch at the side of the road. It wavered an instant, then a heart-rending crash. The canary-coloured cart, their pride and joy, lay on its side in the ditch. An irredeemable wreck. The rat danced up and down in the road, simply transported with passion "'You villains!' he shouted, shaking both fists. "'You scoundrels! You highwaymen! You—you you roadhogs! "'I'll have the law of you. I'll report you. I'll take you through all the courts.' His homesickness had quite slipped away from him, and for the moment he was the skipper of a canary-coloured vessel driven on a shoal by the reckless jockeying of rival manners. He was trying to recollect all the fine and biting things that he used to say— to the masters of steam launches, when their wash as they drove too near the bank used to flood his parlor carpet at home. Toad sat straight down in the middle of the dusty road, his legs stretched out before him, stared fixedly in the direction of the disappearing motor car. He breathed short, his face wore a placid, satisfied expression, and at intervals he faintly murmured, poop poop the mole was busy trying to quiet the horse which he succeeded in doing after a time then he went to look at the cart on its side in the ditch it was indeed a sorry sight panels and windows smashed axles hopelessly bent one wheel off sardine tins scattered over the wide world the bird in the bird cage was sobbing pitifully and calling to be let out The rat came to help him, but their united efforts were not sufficient to right the cart. Hi, Toad, they cried. Come bear a hand, can't you? The Toad never answered a word, or budged from his seat in the road, so they went to see what was the matter with him. They found him in a sort of trance, a happy smile on his face, his eyes fixed on the dusty wake of their destroyer, at intervals still murmuring, poop poop the rat shook him by the shoulder are you coming to help us toad he demanded sternly glorious stirring sight murmured toad never offering to move The poetry of motion the real way to travel the only way to travel here today and next week tomorrow villages skipped towns and cities jumped always somebody else's horizon oh bliss oh poop poop oh my oh my, oh stop being an ass toad, cried the mole despairingly, and to think I never knew went on the toad in a dreamy monotone, all those wasted years that lie behind me I never knew, I never even dreamt, but now, but now that I know, now that I fully realize, oh what a flowery track lies spread before me henceforth, what dust-clouds shall spring up behind me as I speed on my reckless way what carts I shall fling carelessly into the ditch, in the wake of my magnificent onset. Horrid little carts, common carts, canary-coloured carts. "'What are we to do with him?' asked the mole of the water-rat. "'Nothing at all,' said the rat firmly. "'There is really nothing to be done.' "'You see, I know him from old. He's now possessed.' he's got a new craze and it always takes him that way in its first stage he'll continue like that for days now like uh, an animal walking in a happy dream quite useless for all practical purposes never mind him let's go let's see what there is to be done about that cart a careful inspection showed them that even if they succeeded in writing it by themselves the cart would no longer travel the axles were in a hopeless state and the missing wheel, was shattered to pieces. The rat knotted the horse's reins over his back and took him by the head, carrying the bird cage and its hysterical occupant in the other hand. "'Come on,' he said grimly to Mole. "'It's five or six miles to the nearest town. We'll have to walk it. The sooner we make a start, the better. But what about Toad?' asked Mole anxiously, as they set off together. "'We can't leave him here, sitting in the middle of the road." by himself in the distracted state that he's in it's not safe suppose another thing were to come along oh bother toad said the rat savagely i'm done with him they'd not proceeded very far in their way however when there was a pattering of feet behind them toad caught them up and thrust paw inside elbow of each of them still breathing short and staring into vacancy "'Now, look here, Toad,' said the rat sharply. "'As soon as we get to town, you have to go straight to the police station. "'See if they know anything about that motor car who it belongs to, "'lodge a complaint against it. "'Then you'll have to go to the blacksmith's, or a wheelwright, "'and arrange for the cart to be fetched and mended and put to rights. "'It'll take time, but it's not quite a hopeless smash. "'Meanwhile, Mole and I will go to an inn. "'We'll find comfortable rooms where we can stay till the cart's ready, "'till your nerves have recovered their shock.' police station complaint murmured toad dreamily me complain of that beautiful that heavenly vision that has been vouchsafed me mend the cart i'm i'm done with carts forever i never want to see the cart or to hear of it again oh ratty you can't think how obliged i am to you for consenting to come on this trip i wouldn't have gone without you and then i might have never seen that the swan that sunbeam that thunderbolt I might never have heard that entrancing sound or smelt that bewitching smell. I owe it all to you, my best of friends. The rat turned from him in despair. You see what it is," he said to the mole, addressing him across Toad's head. "He's quite hopeless. I give it up. When we get to town, we'll go to the railway station, and with luck, we may pick up a train. There, that'll get us back to the river bank tonight. And if you ever catch me going a pleasuring with this provoking animal again," he snorted and during the rest of that weary trudge addressed his remarks exclusively to Mole. On reaching the town they went straight to the station, and deposited Toad in a second-class waiting room, giving a porter two pence to keep a strict eye on him. They then left the horse at an inn stable, and gave what directions they could about the cart and its contents. Eventually a slow train, having landed them at a station not very far from Toad Hall, they escorted the spellbound sleepwalking Toad to his door, put him inside it, and instructed his housekeeper to feed him, undress him, and put him to bed. Then they got out of their boat from the boathouse. They sculled down the river home, and at a very late hour they sat down to supper in their cosy riverside parlour to the rat's great joy and contentment the following evening the mole who had risen late and taken things very easy all day was sitting on the bank fishing when the rat who had been looking up his friends and gossiping came strolling along to find him heard the news he said nothing else being talked about all along the river bank. Toad went up to town by an early train this morning, and he has ordered a large and very expensive motor car. The wild wood. The mole had long wanted to make the acquaintance of the badger. He seemed by all accounts to be such an important personage and, though rarely visible, to make his unseen influence felt by everybody about the place. But whenever the mole mentioned his wish to the water rat, he always found himself put off. "'It's all right,' the rat would say. "'Badger will turn up some day or other. He's always turning up, and then I'll introduce you. The best of fellows. But you must not only take him as you find him, but when you find him.' "'Couldn't you ask him here for dinner or something?' said the mole. "'He wouldn't come,' replied the rat simply. "'Badger hates society.' and invitations and dinner and all that sort of thing well then suppose we go and call on him suggested the mole oh I'm sure he wouldn't like that at all said the rat quite alarmed he's so very shy he'd be sure to be offended I've never even ventured to call on him at his own home myself though I know him so well besides we can't it's quite out of the question he lives in the very middle of the wild wood well Supposing he does, said the mole. You told me the Wildwood was all right, you know? Oh, I know, I know, so it is, replied the rat evasively, but I think we won't go there just now. Not just yet. It's a long way, and he wouldn't be at home at this time of the year anyhow. He'll be coming along some day if if you'll wait quietly. The mole had to be content with this. But the badger never came along. And every day brought its amusements, and it was not until the summer was long over, and the cold and frost and miry ways kept them much indoors, and the swollen river raced outside their windows with a speed that mocked at boating of any sort or kind, that he found his thoughts dwelling again with much persistence on the solitary grey badger who lived his own life by himself in his hole in the middle of the wild wood. In the wintertime, the rats slept a great deal, retiring early and rising late. During his short day, he sometimes scribbled poetry or did other small domestic jobs about the house, and, of course, there were always animals dropping in for a chat. Consequently, there was a good deal of storytelling and comparing notes on the past summer and all of its doings. Such a rich chapter it had been when one came back to look on it all, with illustrations so numerous and so very highly coloured. The pageant of the riverbank had marched steadily along, unfolding itself in scene pictures that succeeded each other in stately procession. Purple loose strife arrived early, shaking luxuriant tangled locks along the edge of the mirror, whence its own face laughed back at it. Willow herb, tender and wistful, like a pink sunset cloud, was not slow to follow. Comfrey, the purple hand in hand with the white, crept forth to take its place in the line. And at last, one morning, the diffident and delaying dog-rose stepped delicately onto the stage. And one knew, as if string music had announced it in stately chords that strayed into a gavotte, that June, at last, was here. One member of the company was still awaited, the shepherd boy for the nymphs to woo, the knight for whom the ladies waited at the window, the prince that was to kiss the sleeping summer back to life and love. But when Meadow's sweet debonair and odorous in amberjurkin moved graciously to his place in the group, the play was ready to begin. And what a play it had been. Drowsy animals, snug in their holes while wind and rain were battering at their doors, recalled still keen mornings an hour before sunrise, when the white mist, as yet undispersed, clung closely along the surface of the water. Then the shock of the early plunge, the scamper along the bank, and the radiant transformation of earth, air, and water, when suddenly the sun was with them again, Grey was gold and colour was born and sprang out of the earth once more. They recalled the languorous siesta of hot midday. Deep in green undergrowth, the sun striking through tiny golden shafts and spots. The boating and bathing of the afternoon. The rambles along dusty lanes through yellow cornfields. And the long cool evening at last, when so many threads were gathered up. So many friendships rounded and so many adventures planned for the morrow. There was plenty to talk about on those short winter days, when the animals found themselves around the fire still. The mole had a good deal of time on his hands, and one afternoon, when the rat in his armchair before the blaze was alternately dozing and trying over rhymes that wouldn't fit, he formed the resolution to go out by himself to explore the wild wood, and perhaps strike up an acquaintance with Mr. Badger. It was a cold still afternoon, with a hard steely sky overhead, when he slipped out of the warm parlour into the open air. The country lay bare and entirely leafless around him, and he thought that he had never seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as on that winter day nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked the clothes off. Copses, dells, quarries, and all the hidden places which had been mysteriously mines for exploration in leafy summer exposed themselves and their secrets pathetically and seemed to ask him to overlook their shabby poverty for a while till they could riot in rich masquerade as before and trick and entice him with the old deceptions. It was pitiful in a way, and yet cheering, even exhilarating. He was glad that he liked the country undecorated, hard and stripped of its finery. He had got down to the bare bones of it, and they were fine, and strong, and simple. He did not want the warm clover and the play of seeding grasses. The screens of quickset, the billowy drapery of beech and elm seemed best away. With great cheerfulness of spirit he pushed on towards the wild wood, which lay before him low and threatening, like a black reef in some still southern sea. There was nothing to alarm him at first entry. Twigs crackled under his feet. Logs tripped him. Funguses on stumps resembled caricatures and startled him for a moment by their likeness of... Something familiar and far away. But that was all fun and exciting. It led him on, and he penetrated to where the light was less. The trees crouched nearer and nearer, and holes made ugly mouths at him on either side. Everything was very still now. The dusk advanced on him steadily, rapidly, gathering in behind and before. The light seemed to be draining away, like flood water. Then, the faces began. It was over his shoulder and indistinctly that he first thought that he saw a face. A little, evil, wedge-shaped face looking out at him from a hole. When he turned and confronted it, the thing had vanished. He quickened his pace, telling himself cheerfully not to begin imagining things or there would simply be no end to it. He passed another hole and another and another, and then, yes, no, yes, certainly, a... little narrow face with hard eyes had flashed up for an instant from a hole and was gone. He hesitated, braced himself up for an effort, and strode on. Then suddenly, and as if it had been so all the time, every hole far and near, and there were hundreds of them, seemed to possess its face, coming and going rapidly, all fixing on him glances of malice and hatred, all hard-eyed and evil and sharp. If he could only get away from the holes in the banks, he thought there would be no more faces. He swung off the path and plunged into the untrodden places of the wood. Then the whistling began. Very faint and shrill it was and far behind him when he first heard it, but somehow it made him hurry forward. Still very faint and shrill, it sounded far ahead of him suddenly and made him hesitate and want to go back. As he halted in indecision, it broke out on either side, and seemed to be caught up, and passed on throughout the whole length of the woods to its farthest limit. They were up, and alert, and ready, evidently, whoever they were, and he, he was alone, and unarmed, and far from any help, and the night was closing in. Then the pattering began. He thought it was only falling leaves at first. So slight and delicate was the sound of it. Then as it grew it took on a regular rhythm. And he knew it for nothing else but the pat-pat-pat of little feet. Still a very long way off. Was it in front or behind? It seemed to be the first one. And then the other. And then both. It grew and it multiplied till from every quarter as he listened anxiously. Leaning this way and that it seemed to be closing in on him. As he stood still to hearken, a rabbit came running towards him through the trees. He waited, expecting it to slacken pace, to swerve from him into a different course. Instead, the animal almost brushed him as it dashed past. His face set hard, his eyes staring. Get out of this, you fool, get out, the mole heard him mutter, as he swung around a stump and disappeared down a friendly burrow. The pattering increased. "'till it sounded like a sudden hail on a dry-leaf carpet spread around him. "'The whole wood seemed running now, running hard, "'hunting, chasing, closing in round something or somebody. "'In panic, he began to run too. "'Aimlessly, he knew not whither. "'He ran up against things, he fell over things and into things, "'he darted upon things and dodged round things. "'At last he took refuge in the deep, dark hollow of an old beech tree.' which offered shelter, concealment, perhaps even safety, but who could tell? Anyhow, he was too tired to run any further, could only snuggle down into the dry leaves which had drifted onto the hollow, and hope that he was safe for a time. And as he lay there, panting, trembling, and listened to the whistlings and the patterings outside, He knew it at last in all its fullness. That dread thing which other little dwellers in the field and the hedgerow had encountered here, unknown at their darkest moment. That thing which the rat had vainly tried to shield him from. The terror of the wild wood. Meantime, the rat, warm and comfortable, dozed by his fireside. His paper of half-finished verses slipped from his knee, His head fell back and his mouth opened. He wandered by the verdant banks of dream rivers. Then a coal slipped. The fire crackled and sent up a spurt of flame, and he woke with a start, remembering what he had been engaged upon. He reached down to the floor for his verses, pored over them for a minute, and looked round for the mole to ask him if he knew a good rhyme for something or other. But the mole was not there. He listened for a time. The house seemed very quiet. Then he called, Molly several times. And receiving no answer, he got up and went out into the hall. The mole's cap was missing from its accustomed peg. His galoshes, which always lay by the umbrella stand, were also gone. The rat left the house and carefully examined the muddy surface of the ground outside, hoping to find the mole's tracks. There they were, sure enough. The galoshes were new just bought for the winter, and the pimples on their soles were fresh and sharp. He could see the imprints of them in the mud, running along in a straight and purposeful line, leading directly to the wild wood. The rat looked very grave and stood in deep thought for a minute or two. Then he re-entered his house, strapped a belt around his waist, shoved a brace of pistols into it, took up a stout cudgel that stood in a corner of the hall, and set off for the wild wood at a smart pace. It was already getting towards dusk when he reached the first fringe of trees and plunged without hesitation into the wood, looking anxiously on either side for any sign of his friend. Here and there wicked little faces popped out of holes, but vanished immediately at sight of this valorous animal, his pistols and the great ugly cudgel in his grasp. The whistling and the pattering which he had heard quite plainly on his first entry died away and ceased, and all was very still. He made his way manfully through the length of the wood to its furthest edge. Then, forsaking all paths, he set himself to traverse it, laboriously working over the whole ground and all the time calling out cheerfully, "Molly, Molly, where are you? It's me, it's old Rat. He had patiently hunted through the wood for an hour or more, When at last, to his joy, he heard a little answering cry. Guiding himself by the sound, he made his way through gathering darkness to the foot of an old beech tree with a hole in it. From out of the hole came a feeble voice saying, Ratty, is that really you? The rat crept into the hollow and there he found the mole, exhausted and trembling. Oh, rat, he cried, I've been so frightened, you can't think. ''Oh, I quite understand,'' said the rat soothingly. ''You shouldn't really have gone and done it, Mole. I did my best to keep you from it. We riverbankers, we hardly ever come here by ourselves. If we have to come, we come in couples at least, and then we're generally all right. Besides, there are a hundred things one has to know which we understand all about, and you don't, as yet. Passwords, signs, sayings which have power and effect.'' Plants to carry in your pocket, verses you repeat, dodges and tricks you practice. All simple enough when you know them, but they've got to be known if you're small, or you'll find yourself in trouble. Of course, if you were Badger or Otto, it would be quite another matter. Surely the brave Mr. Toad wouldn't mind coming here by himself, would he? inquired Mole. Old Toad, said the rat, laughing heartily. He wouldn't show his face here alone, not for a hatful of golden guineas toad wooden the mole was greatly cheered by the sound of the rat's careless laughter as well as by the sight of his stick and his gleaming pistols he stopped shivering and began to feel bolder, more himself again now then, said the rat presently we must really pull ourselves together and make a start for home, while there's still a little light left, it'll never do to spend the night here, you understand it's too cold for one thing Dear ratty, said the poor mole, I'm dreadfully sorry, but I'm simply dead beat, and that's a solid fact. You must let me rest here a while longer and get my strength back if I'm to get home at all. Oh, all right, said the good-natured rat, rest away. It's pretty nearly pitch dark now anyhow and there ought to be a bit of a moon later. So the mole got well into the dry leaves and stretched himself out, presently dropped off into sleep a broken and troubled sort, while the rat covered himself up too as best he might for warmth and lay patiently waiting with a pistol in his paw. When at last the mole woke much refreshed and in his usual spirits, the rat said, Now then, I'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet, and we must really be off. He went to the entrance of the retreat and put his head out. The mole heard him saying quietly to himself, "'Hello, hello, here is a go.' "'What's up, ratty?' asked the mole. "'Snow is up,' said the rat briefly. "'Or rather, down. "'It's snowing hard.' "'The mole came and crouched beside him "'and looking out saw the wood "'that had been so dreadful to him "'in quite a changed aspect. "'Holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls "'and other black menaces to the wayfarer "'were vanishing fast.' A gleaming carpet of fairy was springing up everywhere. It looked too delicate to be trodden upon by rough feet. A fine powder filled the air and caressed the cheek with a tingle to the touch. The black boles of the trees showed up in a light that seemed to come from below. Well, well, it can't be helped, said the rat after pondering. We must make a start, and take our chance, I suppose. The worst of it is, I don't exactly know where we are and now this snow makes everything so very different. It did indeed. The mole would not have known that it was the same wood. However, they set out bravely. They took the line that seemed the most promising, holding on to each other and pretending with invincible cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree that grimly and silently greeted them. Saw openings, gaps or paths with a familiar turn in them, "'in the monotony of the white space "'and the black tree trunks that refused to vary. "'An hour or two later they had lost count of time. "'They pulled up, dispirited, weary, "'and hopelessly at sea, "'and sat down on a fallen tree trunk "'to recover their breath "'and consider what was to be done. "'They were aching with the fatigue "'and bruised with tumbles. "'They had fallen into several holes "'and got wet through The snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it, and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever. There seemed to be no end to this wood, and no beginning, and no difference in it, and worst of all, no way out. We can't sit here very long, said the rat. We shall have to make another push for it and do something or other. The cold is too awful for anything, and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through. He peered about him and considered. Look here, he went on. This is what occurs to me. There's a sort of dell down here in front of us where the ground seems hilly and humpy and hummocky. We'll make our way down into that and try and find some sort of shelter, a cave or a hole with a dry floor. Out of the snow and the wind and there, we'll have a good rest before we try again. We're both pretty dead beat. The snow may leave off or something may turn up. So once more they got on their feet and struggled down into the dell, where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry, a protection from keen wind and whirling snow. They were investigating one of the hummocky bits the rat had spoken of when suddenly the mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal oh my leg he cried oh my poor shin he sat up in the snow and nursed his leg in both of his front paws poor old mole said the rat kindly you don't seem to be having much luck today do you let's have a look at that leg yes he went on going down on his knees to look you've cut your shin sure enough wait till I get up my handkerchief and I'll tie it up for you "'I must have tripped over a hidden branch or a stump,' said the Mole miserably. "'Oh my, oh my.' "'It's a very clean cut,' said the Rat, examining it again attentively. "'That was never done by a branch or a stump. "'Looks as if it was made by a sharp edge of something metal. "'Funny.' "'He pondered a while and examined the humps and slopes that surrounded them. "'Oh, never mind what done it,' said the Mole, forgetting his grammar in his pain.' "'It hurts just the same, whatever done it.' The rat, after carefully tying up the leg with his handkerchief, had left him and was busy scraping in the snow. He scratched and shoveled and explored, all four legs working busily, while the mole waited impatiently, remarking at intervals, "'Oh, come on, rat!' Suddenly, the rat cried, "'Hooray!' and then, "'Hooray!' and fell to executing a feeble jig in the snow." "'What have you found, ratty?' asked the mole, still nursing his leg. "'Come and see,' said the delighted rat as he jigged on. "'The mole hobbled up to the spot and had a good look. "'Well,' he said at last slowly, "'I see it right enough. "'Seen the same sort of thing before lots of times. "'Familiar object, I call it. "'A door scraper. "'Well, what of it? "'Why dance jigs around a door scraper?' "'Don't you see what it means, you dull-witted animal?' cried the rat impatiently. "'Of course I see what it means,' replied the mole. "'It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his door-scraper lying about in the middle of the wild wood, just where it's sure to trip everybody up. Very thoughtless of him, I call it. When I get home, I shall go and complain about it to—to somebody or other. See if I don't—' "'Oh dear, oh dear,' cried the rat in despair at his obtuseness. "'Here, stop arguing, and come and scrape.' "'He set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. "'After some further toil his efforts were rewarded, "'and a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. "'There, what did I tell you?' exclaimed the rat in great triumph. "'Absolutely nothing whatever,' replied the mole with perfect truthfulness. "'Well now,' he went on, "'you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter.' "'Done for and thrown away, and I suppose you're perfectly happy. "'Better go ahead and dance your jig around that if you've got to and get it over with. "'Perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time with rubbish heaps? "'Can we eat a doormat? Or sleep under a doormat? "'Or sit on a doormat and sledge home? "'Over the snow on it? You exasperating rodent!' "'Do you mean to say,' cried the excited rat, "'that this doormat doesn't tell you anything?' Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly, I think we've had enough of this folly. Whoever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? They simply don't do it. They're not that sort at all. Doormats know their place. Now, look here, you thick-headed beast, replied the rat, really angry. This must stop. Not another word, but scrape. Scrape and scratch and dig and hunt around, especially on the sides of the hummocks. If you want to sleep dry and warm tonight, it's our last chance." The rat attacked a snowbank besides them with ardour, probing with his cudgel everywhere and digging with fury. The mole scraped busily too, more to oblige the rat than for any other reason, for his opinion was that his friend was getting lightheaded. Some ten minutes hard work and the point of the rat's cudgel stick struck something that sounded hollow. He worked until he could get a paw through and feel, and called mole to come and help him. Hard at it went the two animals, till at last the result of their labours stood full in view of the astonished and hitherto incredulous Mole. In the side of what had seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted dark green. An iron bell hung by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, neatly engraved in square capital letters They could read by the aid of moonlight. Mr. Badger. The mole fell backwards on the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rat, he cried in penitence. You're a wonder. A real wonder, that's what you are, I see it all now. You argued it out step by step in that wise head of yours from the very moment that I fell and cut my shin. You looked at the cut, and at once your majestic mind said to itself, Door scraper. And then you turned to and found the very door scraper that done it. Did you stop there? No. Some people would have been quite satisfied, but not you. Your intellect went on working. Let me only just find a doormat, says you to yourself, and my theory is proved. And of course you found your doormat. You're so clever. I believe you could find anything you liked. Now, says you, that door exists as plain as if I saw it. There's nothing else that remains to be done but to find it. Well, I've read about that sort of thing in books, but I've never come across it before in real life. "'You ought to go where you'll be properly appreciated. "'You're simply wasted here, among us fellows. "'If only I had your head, ratty. "'But as you haven't,' interrupted the rat rather unkindly, "'I suppose you're going to sit on the snow all night and talk. "'Get up at once, hang on to that bell pole that you see there, "'and ring hard, as hard as you can, while I hammer.' "'While the rat attacked the door with his stick, "'the mole sprang up at the bell pole clutched it, and swung there, both feet well off of the ground. And from quite a long way off, they could faintly hear a deep-toned bell respond. Chapter 4. Mr. Badger. They waited patiently for what seemed a very long time, stamping in the snow to keep their feet warm. At last, they heard the sound of slow, shuffling footsteps approaching the door from the inside. It seemed, as the Mole remarked to the rat, like someone walking in carpet slippers that were too large for him down at the heel, which was intelligent of Mole, because that is exactly what it was. There was the noise of a bolt shot back, and the door opened a few inches, enough to show a long snout and a pair of sleepy blinking eyes now the very next time this happens said a gruff and suspicious voice i shall be exceedingly angry who is it this time disturbing people on such a night speak up Old badger cried the rat let us in please it's me rat and my friend mole we've lost our way in the snow what ratty my dear little man exclaimed the badger in quite a different voice. "'Come along in, both of you at once. "'Why, you must be perished. "'Well, I never. "'Lost in the snow, and in the wild wood, too. "'And at this time of night, come in with you.' The two animals tumbled over each other in their eagerness to get inside, and heard the door shut behind them with great joy and relief. The badger wore a dressing-gown, and his slippers were indeed very down at the heel, They carried a flat candlestick in their paw, and he had probably been on his way to bed when their summons sounded. He looked kindly down on them, and patted both their heads. "'This is not the sort of night for small animals to be out,' he said paternally. "'I'm afraid you've been up to some of your pranks again, Ratty. "'But come along, come into the kitchen. "'There's a first-rate fire there, supper and everything.' He shuffled on in front of them, carrying the light. They followed him, nudging each other in an anticipating sort of way, down a long, gloomy and, to tell the truth, decidedly shabby passage into a sort of central hall, out of which they could dimly see other long, tunnel-like passages branching, passages mysterious and without apparent end. But there were doors in the hall as well, "'stout, oaken, comfortable-looking doors. "'One of these the Badger flung open, "'and at once they found themselves "'in all the glow and warmth of a large, violet kitchen. "'The floor was well-worn red brick, "'and on the wide hearth burnt a fire of logs, "'between two attractive chimney corners "'tucked away in the wall, "'well out of any suspicion of draught. "'A couple of high-backed settees "'facing each other on either side of the fire.' Gave further sitting accommodation for the sociably disposed. In the middle of the room stood a long table of plain boards placed on trestles, with benches down each side. At one end of it, where an armchair stood pushed back, were spread the remains of the badger's plain but ample supper. Rows of spotless plates winked from the shelves of the dresser at the far end of the room, and from the rafters overhead hung hams, bundles of dried herbs, nets of onions, and baskets of eggs. It seemed a place where heroes could fitly feast after victory, where weary harvesters could line up in scores along the table and keep their harvest home with mirth and song, or where two or three friends of simple tastes could sit about as they pleased and eat and smoke and talk in comfort and contentment The ruddy brick floor smiled up at the smoky ceiling. Plates on the dresser grinned at pots on the shelf, and the merry firelight flickered and played over everything without distinction. The kindly badger thrust them down on a settee to toast themselves at the fire, and bade them remove their wet coats and boots. Then he fetched them dressing-gowns and slippers, and himself bathed the mole's shin with warm water— and mended the cut with sticking plaster till the whole thing was just as good as new if not better in the embracing light and warmth warm and dry at last with weary legs propped up in front of them and a suggestive clink of plates being arranged on the table behind it seemed to the storm driven animals now in safe anchorage that the cold and trackless wild wood just left outside was miles and miles away and all that they had suffered in it a half-forgotten dream. When at last they were thoroughly toasted, the badger summoned them to the table, where he had been busy laying a repast. They had felt pretty hungry before, but when they actually saw at last the supper that was spread for them, really it seemed only a question of what they should attack first, where all was so attractive, and whether the other things would obligingly wait for them. "'till they had time to give them attention. "'Conversation was impossible for a long time, "'and when it slowly resumed, "'it was that regrettable sort of conversation "'that results from talking with your mouth full. "'The Badger did not mind that sort of thing at all, "'nor did he take any notice of elbows on the table "'or everybody speaking at once, "'as he did not go into society himself.' He had got an idea that these things belonged to the things that didn't really matter. We know, of course, that he was wrong and took too narrow a view, because they do matter very much, though it would take too long to explain why. He sat in his armchair at the head of the table and nodded gravely at intervals as the animals told their story. He did not seem surprised or shocked at anything, and never said, I told you so, or— just what I always said, or remarked that they ought to have done so-and-so or ought not to have done something else. The mole began to feel very friendly towards him. When supper was really finished at last, and each animal felt that his skin was as tight as was decently safe, and that by this time he didn't care a hang for anybody or anything, they gathered around the glowing embers of the great wood fire and thought how jolly it was to be sitting up so late and so independent, and so full. And after they had chatted for a time about things in general, the badger said heartily, Now then, tell us the news from your part of the world. How's old toad going on? Ah, from bad to worse, said the rat gravely, while the mole cocked up on a settee, and basking in the firelight, his heels higher than his head, tried to look properly mournful. Another smash-up only last week, and a a bad one, you see. He will insist on driving himself, and he's hopelessly incapable. If he'd only employ a decent, steady, well-trained animal and pay him good wages and leave everything to him, he'd get on all right, but he's convinced he's a heaven-born driver and nobody can teach him anything, and all the rest follows. How many has he had? inquired the badger gloomily. Smashes or machines? asked the rat. Well, after all, it's the same thing with Toad. This is the seventh. As for the others, you know that coach house of his? It's uh, piled up. It's, It's literally piled up to the roof with fragments of motor cars. None of them bigger than your hat. That accounts for the other six so far that can be accounted for. He's been in hospital three times, put in the mole. And as for the fines he's had to pay, it's simply awful to think of. Yeah, and that's part of the trouble, continued the rat. Toad's rich, we all know, but he's not a millionaire, and he's a hopelessly bad driver, quite regardless of law and order. Killed or ruined, it's got to be one of the two things sooner or later, Badger. We're his friends, oughtn't we do something. The Badger went through a bit of hard thinking. Now, look here, he said at last, rather severely. Of course you know I can't do anything Now. His two friends assented, quite understanding his point. No animal, according to the rules of animal etiquette, is ever expected to do anything strenuous or heroic, or even moderately active during the off-season of winter. All are sleepy, some actually asleep. All are weatherbound, more or less, and all are resting from arduous days and nights, during which every muscle in them has been severely tested. "'and every energy kept at full stretch. "'Very well, then,' continued the Badger. "'But when once the year has really turned "'and the nights are shorter, "'halfway through them one rouses and feels fidgety, "'wanting to be up and doing by sunrise, "'if not before, you know?' "'Both animals nodded gravely. "'They knew. "'Well, then,' went on the Badger. "'We,' "'That is, you and me, and our friend the Mole here. "'We'll take Toad seriously in hand. "'We'll stand no nonsense whatever. "'We'll bring him back to reason, by force if need be. "'We'll make him be sensible, Toad. "'Well, you're asleep, Rat.' "'Not me,' said the Rat, waking up with a jerk. "'He's been asleep two or three times since supper,' said the Mole, laughing. He himself felt quite wakeful and even lively, though he didn't know the reason was of course that he being naturally an underground animal by birth and breeding, the situation of Badger's house exactly suited him and made him feel at home, while the rat, who slept every night in a bedroom with the windows of which opened on a breezy river, naturally felt the atmosphere still and oppressive. Well, it's time we were all in bed, said the Badger. Getting up and fetching flat candlesticks. Come along, you two. I'll show you your quarters. Take your time tomorrow morning. Breakfast at any hour you please. He conducted the two animals to a long room that seemed half bedchamber, half loft. The badger's winter stores, which indeed were visible everywhere, took up half the room. Piles of apples, turnips, potatoes baskets full of nuts, jars of honey. The two little white beds on the remainder of the floor looked soft and inviting. The linen on them, though coarse, was clean and smelt beautifully of lavender. The mole and the water rat, shaking off their garments in some thirty seconds, tumbled in between the sheets in great joy and contentment. In accordance with the kindly Badger's injunctions, the two tired animals— came down to breakfast very late the next morning, and found a bright fire burning in the kitchen, as well as two young hedgehogs sitting on a bench at the table, eating oatmeal porridge out of wooden bowls. The hedgehogs dropped their spoons, rose to their feet, and ducked their heads respectfully as the two entered. "'There, sit down, sit down,' said the rat pleasantly. "'Go on with your porridge. Where have you youngsters come from? Lost your way in the snow, I suppose?' "'Yes, please, sir,' said the elder of the two hedgehogs respectfully. "'Me and little Billy here, we was trying to find our way to school. "'Mother would have us to go, but the weather ever so, and we lost ourselves, sir. "'Billy, he got frightened, and took and cried, being young and faint-hearted, "'and last we happened upon Mr. Badger's back door, and made so bold as to knock, sir. "'For Mr. Badger, he's a kind-hearted gentleman, as everyone knows.' I understand, said the rat, cutting himself some rashers from a side of bacon, whilst the mole dropped eggs into a saucepan. What's the weather like outside? Uh, You needn't stir me quite so much, he added. Oh, terrible bad, sir, terrible bad the snow is. No getting out for the likes of you gentlemen today. Where's Mr. Badger? inquired the mole as he warmed the coffee-pot by the fire. The master's gone to his study, sir, replied the hedgehog he said, as how he was going to be particularly busy this morning, and so on no account was he to be disturbed. This explanation, of course, was thoroughly understood by everyone present. The fact is, as already set forth, when you live a life of intense activity for six months of the year, and of comparative or actual somnolence for the other six, during the latter period you cannot be continually pleading sleepiness when there are people about or things to be done. The excuse gets monotonous. The animals well know that Badger, having eaten a hearty breakfast, had retired to his study and settled himself in an armchair with his legs up on another and a red cotton handkerchief over his face and was being busy in the usual way at this time of year. The front doorbell clanged loudly, and the rat, who was very greasy with buttered toast, sent Billy, the smaller hedgehog, to see who it might be. There was a sound of much stamping in the hall, and presently Billy returned in front of an otter, who threw himself on the rat with an embrace and a shout of affectionate greeting. "'Get off!' spluttered the rat with his mouth full. "Thought I might find you here all right,' said the otter cheerfully. They were all in a great state of alarm along the river bank when I arrived this morning. Rat never been home all night, nor mole either. Something dreadful must have happened,' they said, and the snow had covered up all your tracks, of course.' but I knew that when people were in any fix that mostly they went to Badger, or else Badger got to know of it somehow, so I came straight off here, through the wild woods and the snow. My, it was fine coming through the snow as the red sun was rising, showing against the black tree trunks it was. As you went along in the stillness, every now and then masses of snow slid off the branches suddenly with a flop, making you jump and run for cover. "'Snow castles and snow caverns had sprung up out of nowhere in the night, "'snow bridges, terraces, ramparts. "'I could have stayed and played with them for hours. "'Here and there great branches had been torn away by the sheer weight of the snow, "'and robins perched and hopped on them in their perky, conceited way, "'just as if they had done it themselves. "'A ragged string of wild geese passed overhead, high on the grey sky. "'A few rooks whirled over the trees, "'inspected and flapped off homewards with a disgusted expression.' "'but I met no sensible being to ask for news. "'About halfway across I came on a rabbit sitting on a stump, "'cleaning his silly face with his paws. "'He was a pretty scared animal. "'When I crept up behind him and placed a heavy forepaw paw on his shoulder, "'I had to cuff his head once or twice to get any sense out of it. "'At last I managed to extract from him "'that Mole had been seen in the wild wood last night by one of them. "'It was the talk of the burrows,' he said, "'how Mole, Mr. Rat's particular friend, was in a bad fix.' How he had lost his way and they were up and out hunting and were chivying him round and round then why didn't any of you do something i asked you mayn't be blessed with brains but there's hundreds and hundreds of you big stout fellows as fat as butter and your burrows running in all directions you could have taken him in and made him safe and comfortable or tried to at all events what well, us he merely said do something us rabbits so i cuffed him again and i left him there was nothing else to be done. At any rate, I had learnt something, and if I had the luck to meet any of them, I'd have learnt something more, or they would. "'Weren't you at all uh, nervous?' asked the Mole, some of yesterday's terror coming back to him at the mention of the Wildwood. "'Nervous?' the Otter showed a gleaming set of strong white teeth as he laughed. "'I'd give him nerves if any of them tried anything on with me. Here, Mole.' "'Fry me some slices of ham, like a good little chap that you are. "'I'm frightfully hungry, and I've got any amount to say to Ratty here. "'Haven't seen him for an age.' "'So the good-natured Mole, having cut some slices of ham, "'set the hedgehogs to fry it, and returned to his own breakfast, "'while the otter and the rat, their heads together, eagerly talked river-shop, "'which is long-shop, and talk that is endless, "'running on like a babbling river itself.' A plate of fried ham had just been cleared and sent back for more when Badger entered. Yawning and rubbing his eyes, he greeted them all in his quiet, simple way, with kind inquiries for everyone. "Mm -hmm. It must be getting on for luncheon time, he remarked to the otter. Better stop and have it with us. You must be hungry this cold morning. Rather, replied the otter, winking at the mole. The sight of these greedy young hedgehogs stuffing themselves with fried ham makes me feel positively famished. The hedgehogs, who were just beginning to feel hungry again after their porridge, and after working so hard at their frying, looked timidly up at Mr. Badger, but were too shy to say anything. "'Here, you two youngsters be off home to your mother,' said the Badger kindly. "'I'll send someone with you to show you the way.' You won't want any dinner today, I'll be bound. He gave them sixpence apiece and a pat on the head, and they went off with much respectful swinging of caps and touching of forelocks. Presently they all sat down to luncheon together. The mole himself placed next to Mr. Badger, and as the other two were still deep in river gossip from which nothing could divert them, he took the opportunity to tell Badger how comfortable and home-like it all felt to him once you're underground he said you know exactly where you are nothing can happen to you nothing can get at you you're entirely your own master and you don't have to consult anybody or mind what they say things go on all the same overhead and you let them don't bother about them when you want to up you go and there things are waiting for you The badger simply beamed on him. "'That's exactly what I say,' he replied. "'There's no security or peace and tranquility except underground. And then, if your ideas get larger and you want to expand, why, a dig and a scrape, and there you are. If you feel your house is a bit too big, you stop up a hole or two, and there you are again. No builders, no tradesmen.' No remarks passed on you by fellows looking over your wall, and above all, no weather. Look at Rat now. A couple of feet of flood water, and he's got to move into hired lodgings. Uncomfortable. Inconveniently situated. Horribly expensive. Take Toad. I say nothing against Toad Hall. Quite the best house in these parts, as a house. But suppose a fire breaks out. "'Where's Toad?' "'Supposing tiles are blown off, "'or walls sink or crack or windows get broken. "'Where's Toad?' "'Suppose the rooms are drafty. "'I hate a draft myself. "'Where's Toad?' "'No, up and out of doors is good enough to roam about "'and get ones living in, "'but underground to come back to at last. "'That's my idea of home.' "'The mole assented heartily.' and the badger in consequence got very friendly with him. When lunch is over, he said, I'll take you all round this little place of mine. I can see you'll appreciate it. You understand what domestic architecture ought to be, you do. After luncheon, accordingly, when the other two had settled themselves into the chimney corner and started a heated argument on the subject of eels, the badger lighted a lantern and bade them all to follow him. Crossing the hall they passed down one of the principal tunnels. The wavering light of the lantern gave glimpses on either side of rooms both large and small. Some mere cupboards, others nearly as broad and imposing as Toad's dining hall. A narrow passage at right angles led them into another corridor. Here the same thing was repeated. The mole was staggered at the size. The extent, the ramifications of it all, the length of the dim passages, the solid vaultings of the crammed store chambers, the masonry everywhere, the pillars, the arches, the pavements. How on earth, Badger, he said at last, did you ever find time and strength to do all this? It's astonishing. It would be astonishing indeed, said the Badger simply, if I had done it. "'but as a matter of fact, I did none of it. "'I only cleaned out the passages and chambers "'as far as I had need of them. "'There's lots more of it all around about. "'I see you don't understand, "'and I must explain it to you. "'Well, very long ago, "'on the spot where the wild wood waves now, "'before ever it had planted itself "'and grown up to what it is now, "'there was a city.' A city of people, you know. Here, where we are standing, they lived, and walked, and talked, and slept, and carried on their business. Here they stabled their horses, they feasted. From here they rode out to fight, or drove out to trade. They were a powerful people, and rich, and great builders. They built to last for they thought their city would last forever. But what's become of them all, asked them all. Who can tell, said the Badger. People come, they stay for a while. They flourish, they build, and they go. It is their way, but we remain. There were Badgers here, I've been told, long before that same city ever came to be. "'and now there are badgers here again. "'We are an enduring lot. "'We may move out for a time, but we wait, "'and are patient, and back we come, "'and so it will ever be.' "'Well, and when they went at last, "'those people,' said the mole. "'When they went,' continued the badger, "'the strong winds, persistent rains, "'took the matter in hand.' patiently, ceaselessly, year after year. Perhaps we badgers too in our small way helped a little, who knows. It was all going down, 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 gradually, ruin, levelling and disappearance. Then it was all up, 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 gradually, as seeds grew to saplings and saplings to forest trees and bramble and fern came creeping to help. Leaf-mould rose and obliterated, streams in their winter freshets brought sand and soil to clog, to cover, and in course of time our home was ready for us again, and we moved in. Up above us on the surface the same thing happened, animals arrived, liked the look of the place and took up their quarters, settled down, spread and flourished. They didn't bother themselves about the past, they never do. They're too busy. The place was a bit humpy and hillocky, naturally, full of holes, and that was rather an advantage. They don't bother about the future, either. The future, when perhaps people will move in again, for a time, as may very well be. The wild wood is pretty well populated now, with all the usual lot. "'Good, bad, indifferent. "'I name no names. "'It takes all sorts to make a world. "'But I fancy you know something about them yourself by this time.' "'I do indeed,' said the Mole with a shiver. "'Well, well.' "'The Badger patted him on the shoulder. "'It was your first experience of them, you see.
1: "'They're
0: not so bad, really.' We must all live and let live. I'll pass the word around tomorrow, and I think you'll have no further trouble. Any friend of mine walks where he likes in this country, or I'll know the reason why. When they got back to the kitchen again, they found the rat walking up and down, very restless. The underground atmosphere was oppressing him and getting on his nerves. He seemed really to be afraid that the river would run away if he wasn't there to look after it. He had his overcoat on, and his pistols thrust into his belt again. "'Come along, Mole,' he said anxiously, as soon as he caught sight of them. "'We must get off while it's daylight. Don't want to spend another night in the wild woods again.' "'It'll be all right, my fine fellow,' said the otter. "'I'm coming along with you, and I know every path blindfold. And if there's a head that needs to be punched, you can confidently rely on me.' to punch him you really needn't fret ratty added the badger placidly my passages run further than you think and I've got bolt holes to the edge of the wood in several directions though I don't care for everybody to know about them when you really have to go you shall leave by one of my shortcuts meantime make yourself easy and sit down again The rat was nevertheless still anxious to be off and attend to his river, so the badger, taking up his lantern again, led the way along a damp and airless tunnel that wound and dipped, part vaulted, part hewn through solid rock, for a weary distance that seemed to be miles. At last daylight began to show itself, confusedly through tangled growth overhanging the mouth of the passage, and the badger, bidding them a hasty goodbye, pushed them hurriedly through the opening, made everything look as natural as possible again with creepers and brushwood and dead leaves, and retreated. They found themselves standing on the very edge of the wild wood, Rocks and brambles and tree roots behind them, confusedly heaped and tangled in front, a great space of quiet fields hemmed by lines of hedges black on snow and far ahead a glint of a familiar old river, while the wintry sun hung red and low on the horizon. The otter, as knowing all the paths, took charge of the party, and they trailed out on a beeline for a distant stile. Pausing there a moment and looking back, they saw the whole mass of the wildwood. Dense, menacing, compact, "'grimly set in vast white surroundings. "'Simultaneously they turned and made swiftly for home, "'for firelight and familiar things that it played on, "'for the voice sounding cheerily outside their window, "'of the river that they knew and trusted in all its moods "'that never made them afraid with any amazement. "'As he hurried along, eagerly anticipating the moment "'when he would be at home again among the things he knew and liked,' The Mole saw clearly that he was an animal of tilled field and hedgerow linked to the ploughed furrow, the frequented pasture, the lane of evening lingerings, the cultivated garden plot. For others, the asperities, the stubborn endurance, or the clash of actual conflict that went with nature in the rough. He must be wise, he must keep to the pleasant places in which his lines were laid, and which held adventure enough in their way to last for a lifetime. The sheep ran huddling together against the hurdles, blowing out thin nostrils and stamping with delicate forefeet, their heads thrown back and a light steam rising from the crowded sheep pen, into the frosty air, as the two animals hastened by in high spirits with much chatter and laughter. They were returning across country after a long day's outing with otter, hunting and exploring on the wide uplands where certain streams tributary to their own river had their first small beginnings. The shades of the short winter day were closing in on them, and they had still some distance to go. Plodding at random across the plough, they had heard the sheep and had made for them, and now, leading from the sheep pen, they found a beaten track that made walking a lighter business, and responded to that small inquiring something which all animals carry inside them. "'saying unmistakably, "'Yes, quite right. "'This leads home.' "'It looks as if we were coming to a village,' "'said the Mole, somewhat dubiously, "'slackening his pace. "'The track that had in time become a path "'and had developed into a lane "'now handed them over to the charge of a well-metalled road. "'The animals did not hold with villages "'and their own highways.' thickly frequented as they were, took an independent course, regardless of church, post office or public house. Oh, never mind, said the rat. At this season of the year, they're all safe indoors by this time, sitting round the fire. Men, women, children, dogs and cats and all. We shall slip through all right, without any bother or unpleasantness, and we can have a look at them through their windows, if you like, see what they're doing. The rapid nightfall of mid-December had quite beset the little village as they approached it on soft feet over a first thin fall of powdery snow. Little was visible but squares of a dusky orange-red on either side of the street, where the firelight or lamplight of each cottage overflowed through the casements into the dark world without. Most of the low-latissed windows were innocent of blinds. To the lookers-in from outside, the inmates gathered around a tea-table, absorbed in handiwork or talking with laughter and gesture. They had each that happy grace, which is the last thing the skilled actor shall capture. The natural grace which goes with perfect unconsciousness, of observation, Moving at will from one theatre to another, the two spectators, so far from home themselves, had something of wistfulness in their eyes. They watched a cat being stroked, a sleepy child picked up and huddled off to bed, a tired man stretch and knock out his pipe on the end of a smouldering log. But it was from one little window, with its blind drawn down, a mere blank transparency on the night, that the sense of home, and the little curtained world within walls, the larger stressful world of outside nature shut out and forgotten, most pulsated. Close against the white blind hung a bird-cage, clearly silhouetted. Every wire and perch was distinct and recognisable, even to yesterday's dull-edged lump of sugar. On the middle perch, the fluffy occupant, head tucked well into feathers, seemed so near to them as to be easily stroked had they tried. Even the delicate tips of his plumped-out plumage penciled plainly on the illuminated screen. As they looked, the sleepy little fellow stirred uneasily, woke, shook himself, and raised his head. They could see the gape of his tiny beak as he yawned in a awed sort of way, he looked around, and settled his head into his back again, where ruffled feathers gradually subsided into a perfect stillness. Then a gust of bitter wind took them in the back of the neck. A small sting of frozen sleet on the skin. It woke them as from a dream. And they knew their toes to be cold and their legs tired. And their own home was a distant, weary way. Once beyond the village, where the cottages ceased abruptly... On either side of the road they could smell through the darkness those friendly fields again. They braced themselves for the last long stretch, the home stretch, the stretch that we know is bound to end sometime. In the rattle of the door latch, in the sudden firelight, the sight of familiar things greeting us as long-absent travellers from far oversea. They plodded along. Steadily, silently Each of them thinking his own thoughts The moles ran a good deal on supper As it was pitch dark and it was all a strange country for him as far as he knew He was following obediently in the wake of the rat Leaving the guidance entirely to him As for the rat He was walking a little way ahead as was his habit, his shoulders humped, his eyes fixed on the straight grey road in front of him. He did not notice poor Mole when suddenly the summons reached him and took him like an electric shock. We others who have long lost the more subtle of the physical senses have not even the proper terms to express an animal's intercommunications with his surroundings, living or otherwise. We have only the word smell, for instance, to include the whole range of delicate thrills which murmur in the nose of the animal night and day, summoning, warning, inciting, repelling. It was one of those mysterious fairy calls from out the void that had suddenly reached the mole in the darkness, making him tingle through and through with its very familiar appeal, even while yet he could not clearly remember what it was. He stopped dead in his tracks, his nose searching hither and thither in its efforts to recapture this fine filament, the telegraphic current that had so strongly moved him. A moment, and he had caught it again, and with it this time came recollection in its fullest flood. Home. That was what they meant. Those caressing appeals, those soft touches wafted through the air, those invisible little hands pulling and tugging all one way why, it must be quite close by him at the moment, his old home that he had hurriedly forsaken and never sought again that day when he first found the river, and now it was sending out its scouts and its messengers to capture him and bring him in. Since his escape on that bright morning, he had hardly given it a thought. So absorbed had he been in his new life and all of its pleasures and its surprises its fresh and captivating experiences now with a rush of old memories how clearly it stood up before him in the darkness shabby indeed small and poorly furnished and yet his the home that he had made for himself the home he had been so happy to get back to after a day's work the home had been happy with him too, evidently, and was missing him. It wanted him back, and it was telling him so, through his nose, sorrowfully, reproachfully, but with no bitterness or anger, only with plaintive reminder that it was there, and that it wanted him. The call was clear, the summons was plain, He must obey it instantly and go. Ratty, he called, full of joyful excitement. Hold on, Uh, come back, I want you, quick. Oh, come along, Mole, do, replied the rat cheerfully, still plodding along. Please stop, Ratty, pleading the poor Mole in anguish of heart. You don't understand, it's my home, my old home. I've just come across the smell of it. It's close by here, really quite close, and I must go to it. I must, I must. Oh, come back, Ratty. Please, please come back. The rat was by this time very far ahead, too far to hear clearly what the mole was calling, too far to catch the sharp note of painful appeal in his voice, and he was much taken up with the weather for he too could smell something, something suspiciously, like approaching snow. Mole, we mustn't stop now, really, he called back. We'll come for it tomorrow, whatever it is found, but I daren't stop now. It's late, and the snow's coming on again, and I'm not sure of the way. And I want your nose, Mole, so come on quick, there's a good fellow. The rat pressed forward on his way without waiting for an answer. Poor Mole stood alone in the road. His heart was torn asunder. A big sob was gathering, gathering, somewhere low down inside him. To leap up to the surface presently, he knew, in passionate escape, But even under such a test as this, his loyalty to his friend stood firm. Never for a moment did he dream of abandoning him. Meanwhile, the wafts from his old home pleaded, whispered, conjured, and finally claimed him imperiously. He dared not tarry longer within their magic circle— With a wrench that tore his very heartstrings, he set his face down the road and followed submissively in the track of the rat, while faint, thin little smells dogged at his retreating nose, reproaching him for his new friendship and his callous forgetfulness. With an effort he caught up to the unsuspecting Rat, who began chattering cheerfully about what they would do when they got back. How jolly a fire of logs in the parlour would be! What a supper he meant to eat! Never noticing his companion's silence and distressful state of mind. At last, however, when they had gone some considerable way further, "'and were passing some tree stumps at the edge of a copse that bordered the road. "'He stopped and said kindly, "'Look here, mole, old chap. "'You seem dead tired. "'No talk left in you. "'Your feet are dragging like lead. "'We'll sit down here for a moment and rest. "'The snow's held off so far. "'The best part of our journey's over.' "'The mole subsided forlornly on a tree stump "'and tried to control himself.' he felt it surely coming the sob that he had fought with so long refused to be beaten up and up it forced its way to the air and then another and another and others thick and fast until poor Mole at last gave up the struggle and cried freely and helplessly and openly now that he knew it was all over and that he had lost what he could hardly have said to have found. The rat, astonished and dismayed at the violence of Mole's grief, did not speak for a while. At last he said, very quietly and sympathetically, What is it, old fellow? Whatever can be the matter. Tell us your trouble and let me see what I can do. Poor Mole found it difficult to get any words out between the upheavals of his chest that followed one upon another so quickly, and held back speech and choked it as it came. I know, it's a shabby, dingy little place, he sobbed forth at last, broken. Not like your cosy quarters, or Toad's beautiful hall, or... Badger's great house but it was my own little home and I was fond of it and I went away and I forgot all about it and then I smelt it suddenly on the road when I called and you wouldn't listen rat and everything came back to me with a rush and I wanted it oh dear and when you wouldn't turn back ratty and I had to leave it Though I was smelling it all the time, I I thought my heart would break. We might have just gone and had one look at it, Ratty, only one look. It was close by, but you wouldn't turn back, Ratty, you wouldn't turn back. Recollection brought fresh waves of sorrow, and sobs again took full charge of him, preventing further speech. The rat stared straight in front of him, saying nothing, only patting Mole gently on the shoulder. After a time, he muttered gloomily, I see it all now. What a pig I have been, a pig, that's me, just a pig, a plain pig. He waited until Mole's sobs became gradually less stormy and more rhythmical. "'He waited till the last sniffs were frequent and sobs were intermittent. "'He rose from his seat and remarking carelessly, "'Well, we'd uh, really better be getting on, old chap,' "'and set off up the road again, over the toilsome way that they had come. "'Wherever are you going to, ratty?' cried the tearful mole looking up in alarm. "'We're going to find that home of yours, old fellow,' replied the rat, pleasantly. "'So you'd better come along, for it'll take some finding, and we shall want your nose.' "'Oh, come back, ratty, do,' cried the mole, getting up and hurrying after him. "'It's no good, I tell you. It's too late and too dark, and the place is far off, the snow's coming. I, "'I never meant to let you know I was feeling that way about it. It was an accident.' and a mistake think of the riverbank and your supper hang riverbank and supper too said the rat heartily I tell you I'm gonna find this place now if I stay out all night so cheer up old chap and take my arm we'll soon be back there again still snuffling and pleading and reluctant the mole suffered himself to be dragged back along the road by his imperious companion who by a flow of cheerful talk and anecdote endeavoured to beguile his spirits back and make the weary way seem shorter. When at last it seemed to the rat that they must be nearing the part of the road where the mole had been held up, he said, Now, no more talking. Business. Use your nose and give your mind to it. They moved on in silence for a little way. Suddenly, the rat was conscious, through his arm that was linked in the moles of a faint sort of electric thrill that was passing down that animal's body. Instantly, he disengaged himself and fell back a pace and waited. The signals were coming through. Mole stood, a moment rigid. His uplifted nose, quivering slightly, felt the air. Then a short, quick run forward. A fault, a check, a try back, and then a slow and steady, confident advance. The rat, much excited, kept close to his heels as the mole, with something of the air of a sleepwalker, crossed a dry ditch, scrambled through a hedge, and nosed his way over a field open and trackless and bare in the faint starlight. Suddenly, without giving warning, he dived, but the rat was on alert and followed him down the tunnel, to which his unerring nose had faithfully led him. It was close and airless. The earthy smell was strong. It seemed a long time to Rat ere the passage ended, and he could stand erect and stretch and shake himself. The mole struck a match, and by its light the rats saw that they were standing in an open space, neatly swept and sanded underfoot. Directly facing them, was Mole's little front door, with Mole End painted in Gothic lettering over the bell pole at the side? Mole reached down a lantern from a nail on the wall and lit it. The rat, looking around him, saw that they were in a sort of forecourt. A garden seat stood on one side of the door, and on the other, a roller. For the mole, who was a tidy animal when at home, could not stand having his ground kicked up by other animals into little runs that ended in earth heaps. On the walls hung wire baskets with ferns in them, alternating with brackets carrying plaster statuary Garibaldi and the infant Samuel, Queen Victoria and other heroes of modern Italy down on one side of the forecourt ran a skittle alley, with benches along it and little wooden tables marked with rings that hinted at beer mugs. In the middle was a small round pond containing goldfish, surrounded by a cockle-shell border. Out of the centre of the pond rose a fanciful erection, clothed in more cockle-shells, Topped by a large silvered glass ball that reflected everything all wrong and had a very pleasing effect, Mole's face beamed at the sight of these objects so dear to him. He hurried rat through the door, lit a lamp in the hall, and took one glance around his old home. He saw the dust lying thick on everything saw the cheerless, deserted look of a long-neglected house, its narrow dimensions, its worn and shabby contents, and collapsed again on a hall-chair, his nose to his paws. Oh, ratty, he cried dismally, why ever did I do it? Why did I bring you to this poor, cold little place on a night like this? when you might have been at Riverbank by this time, toasting your toes before a blazing fire with all of your own nice things about you. The rat paid no heed to his doleful self-reproaches. He was running here and there, opening doors, inspecting rooms and cupboards, lighting lamps and candles and sticking them up everywhere. What a capital little house this is, he called out cheerfully so compact, so well planned everything here and everything in its place we'll make a jolly night out of it the first thing we want is a good fire, I'll see to that, I always know where to find things so this is the parlour, splendid your own idea, those little sleeping bunks in the wall, capital Uh, now I'll fetch the wood and the coals and get a duster mole you'll find one in the drawer of the kitchen table try and smarten things up a bit bustle about old chap Encouraged by his inspiriting companion, the Mole roused himself, dusted and polished with energy and heartiness, while the Rat, running to and fro with armfuls of fuel, soon had a cheerful blaze roaring up the chimney. He hailed the Mole to come and warm himself, but Mole promptly had another fit of the blues, dropping down on a couch in a dark despair burying his face in the duster. "'Rat,' he moaned. "'How about your supper? Y- "'You poor, cold, hungry, weary animal. "'I've nothing to give you, nothing. "'Not a crumb.' "'What a fellow you are for giving in,' said the rat reproachfully. "'Why, only just now I, I saw a sardine opener on the kitchen dresser. "'Quite distinctly. "'Everybody knows that means there are sardines somewhere in the neighbourhood rouse yourself, pull yourself together, come with me and forage. They went and foraged accordingly, hunting through every cupboard, turning out every drawer. The result was not so very depressing after all. Of course, it might have been better. A tin of sardines, a box of captain's biscuits nearly full, and a German sausage, "'encased in silver paper. "'There's a banquet for you,' observed the rat. "'He arranged the table. "'I know some animals who would give their ears "'to be sitting down to supper with us tonight.' "'No bread,' groaned the mole. "'No butter, no, no pâté, no foie gras, no champagne,' "'continued the rat, grinning. "'And that reminds me. "'What's that little door at the end of the passage?' Your cellar, of course, every luxury in the house. Just wait a minute. He made for the cellar door, and presently reappeared. Somewhat dusty, and with a bottle of beer in each paw, and another under each arm. Self-indulgent beggar you seem to be, Mole, he observed. Deny yourself nothing. This is really the jolliest little place I ever was in. Wherever did you pick up those prints? Make the place look so homelike, they do. No wonder you're so fond of it, Mole. Uh, tell us all about it. How you came to make it what it is. And while the rat busied himself fetching plates and knives and forks and mustard, which he mixed in an egg cup, the Mole, his bosom heaving with the stress of recent emotion, related somewhat shyly at first, but with more freedom as he warmed to his subject, how this was planned, how that was thought out, and how this was got through a windfall from an aunt, and that was a wonderful find and a bargain, and this other thing was brought out of laborious savings and a certain amount of going without his spirits finally quite restored. He must needs go and caress his possessions, take a lamp and show off their points to his visitor. Quite forgetful of the supper they both so much needed, Rat, who was desperately hungry but strove to conceal it, nodded seriously, examining with a puckered brow and saying, Wonderful and most remarkable... At intervals, when the chance for an observation was given. At last, the rat succeeded in decoying him to the table and had just got seriously to work with the sardine opener when sounds were heard from the forecourt. Sounds like the scuffling of small feet in the gravel, a confused murmur of tiny voices broken sentences reaching them. All in a line? Hold the lantern up a bit, Tommy. Clear your throats first. No coughing after I say one, two, three. Where's young Bill? Come on, we're all waiting. What's up? inquired the rat, pausing in his labours. I think it must be the field mice, replied the Mole, A touch of pride in his manner. They go round carol singing regularly, this time of year. They're quite an institution in these parts, and they never pass me over. They come to Mole End last. I used to give them hot drinks and supper too, when I could afford it. It'll be like old times to hear them again. Let's have a look at them, cried the rat, jumping up and running to the door. It was a pretty sight. A seasonable one. It met their eyes when they flung the door open. In the forecourt, lit by the dim rays of a horn lantern, some eight or ten little field mice stood in a semicircle. Red comforters around their throats, their forepaws thrust deep into their pockets, feet jigging for warmth. With bright beady eyes they glanced shyly at each other, sniggering a little and sniffing, applying coat sleeves a good deal. As the door opened, one of the elder ones that carried the lantern was just saying, Now then, one, two, three, and forthwith their shrill little voices uprose on the air singing one of the old-time carols that their forefathers had composed in the fields, that were fallow and held by frost, or when snowbound in chimney corners, handed down to be sung in the street to lamplit windows at yule-time. Villagers all this frosty tide, let your doors swing open wide, Though wind may follow and snow beside, Draw us in by your fire to bide. Joy shall be yours in the morning. Here we stand in the cold and the sleet, Blowing fingers and stamping feet, Come from far away you to greet, You by the fire, we in the street, Bidding you joy in the morning. For ere one half of the night was gone, Sudden a star has led us on, Raining bliss and benison, Bliss tomorrow and more anon, Joy for every morning. Goodman Joseph toiled through the snow, Saw the star over a stable low, Mary she might not further go, Welcome thatch and litter below. Joy was hers in the morning. And then they heard the angels tell. Who were the first to cry Noel? Animals all as it befell. In the stable where they did dwell. Joy shall be theirs in the morning. The voices ceased. The singers bashful but smiling. Exchanged sidelong glances and silence succeeded, but for a moment only. From up above and far away, down the tunnel that they had so lately travelled, was borne to their ears in a faint musical hum, the sound of distant bells ringing, a joyful peal "'Very well sung, boys,' cried the rat heartily. "'And now come along in, all of you. "'Warm yourselves by the fire, and have something hot.' "'Yes, uh, come along, field mice,' cried the mole eagerly. "'This is quite like old times. "'Shut the door after you. Uh, "'Pull up that settee to the fire. "'Just wait a minute while we—ratty,' he cried in despair, "'plumping down on a seat with tears impending— "'Whatever are we doing? We've got nothing to give them.' "'You leave that to me,' said the masterful rat. "'Here, you with the lantern, come this way, I want to talk to you. "'Tell me, are there any shops open at this hour of the night?' "'Why, certainly, sir,' replied the field mouse respectfully. "'At this time of year, our shops keep open to all sorts of hours.' "'Then look here,' said the rat, "'you go off at once.' you and your lantern and you get me here much muttered conversation ensued the mole only heard bits of it such as fresh mind and no a pound of that will do See so you get buggins's for i won't have any other only the best if you can't get it there try somewhere else of course homemade no tinned stuff do the best you can Finally there was a chink of coin passing from paw to paw. The field-mouse was provided with an ample basket for his purchases, and off he hurried, he and his lantern. The rest of the field-mice perched in a row on the settee, their small legs swinging, giving themselves up to the enjoyment of the fire. They toasted their chill until they tingled, While the Mole, failing to draw them into easy conversation, plunged into family history and made each of them recite the names of numerous brothers who were too young, it appeared, to be allowed to carol that year, but they looked forward to very shortly after winning a parental consent. The Rat, meanwhile, was busy examining the label of one of the beer bottles, I perceive this to be an old burn he remarked approvingly sensible mole the very thing now we'll be able to mull some ale get things ready mole whilst I draw the corks it did not take long to prepare the brew and thrust the tin heater into the red heart of the fire soon every field mouse was sipping and coughing and choking for a little mulled ale goes a long way wiping his eyes and laughing and forgetting that he had ever been cold in all of his life. They act plays too, these fellows, the mole explained. Make them all up by themselves and act them afterwards. Very well they do too. They gave us a capital one last year as a field mouse who was captured at sea, made to row in a galley. When he escaped and got home again, his lady love had gone into a convent. "'You, you were in it, I I remember. Uh, "'Come on, get up and recite a bit.' "'The field mouse addressed got up on his legs, "'giggled shyly and looked around the room. "'He remained absolutely tongue-tied. "'His comrades cheered him on, "'mole coaxed and encouraged him, "'and the rat went so far as to take him by the shoulders and shake him. "'But nothing could overcome his stage fright.' They were all busily engaged on him like watermen applying the Royal Humane Society's regulations to a case of long submersion. When the latch clicked, the door opened, and the field mouse with the lantern reappeared, staggering under the weight of his basket. There was no more talk of play-acting once the very real and solid contents of the basket had tumbled out onto the table. Under the generalship of Rat, everybody was set to do something, or to fetch something. In a very few minutes, supper was ready, and Mole, as he took the head of the table in a sort of dream, saw a lately barren board set thick with savoury comforts, saw his little friend's faces brighten and beam as they fell to without delay, and let himself loose for he was famished indeed. On the provender so magically provided, thinking what a happy homecoming this had turned out. As they ate, they talked of old times. The field mice gave him the local gossip, and answered as well as they could the hundred questions that he had to ask them. The rat said little or nothing only taking care that each guest had what he wanted, and plenty of it, and that Mole had no trouble or anxiety about anything. They clattered off at last very grateful, showering wishes of the season with their jacket pockets stuffed with remembrances for small brothers and sisters at home. When the door closed on the last of them, and the chink of the lanterns had died away, Mole and Rat kicked the fire up, drew the chairs in, brewed themselves a last nightcap of Mold Ale, and discussed the events of the long day. At last the Rat, with a tremendous yawn, said, Mole, old chap, I'm ready to drop. Sleepy is simply not the word. That your own bunk over on that side? Very well, I'll I'll take this. What a ripping little house this is, everything so handy. He clambered into his bunk and rolled himself well up in the blankets. Slumber gathered him forthwith as a swathe of barley folded into the arms of a reaping machine. The weary mole was glad to turn in without delay. Soon his head was on his pillow, in great joy and contentment. But ere he closed his eyes, he let them wander round his old room, mellow in the glow of the firelight that played or rested on familiar and friendly things, which had long been unconsciously a part of him, and now smilingly, received him back he was now in just the frame of mind that the tactful rat had quietly worked to bring about in him he saw clearly how plain and simple how narrow even it all was but clearly too how much it all meant to him the special value of some anchorage in one's existence. He did not at all want to abandon the new life and its splendid spaces to turn his back on the sun and the air and all that it offered him to creep home and stay there. The upper world was all too strong. It called to him still, even down there. He knew he must return to the larger stage. But it was good to think that he had this to come back to. This place which was all his own. These things which were so glad to see him again, and could always be counted upon for the same simple welcome. Chapter 6 Mr. Toad. It was a bright morning in the early part of summer. The river had resumed its wonted banks and its accustomed pace, and a hot sun seemed to be pulling everything green and bushy and spiky up out of the earth towards him as if by strings. The mole and the water rat had been up since dawn very busy on matters connected with boats and the opening of the boating season, painting and varnishing, mending paddles, repairing cushions, hunting for missing boat hooks and so on, and were finishing breakfast in their little parlour and eagerly discussing their plans for the day when a heavy knock sounded at the door. "'Bother,' said the rat, all over Egg. "'See who it is, Mole, like a good chap, since you've finished.' The Mole went to attend the summons, and the rat heard him utter a cry of surprise. He flung the parlour door open, and announced with much importance, "'Mr. Badger!' This was a wonderful thing indeed, that the Badger should pay a formal call on them, or indeed on anybody.' He generally had to be caught if he wanted him badly, as he slipped quietly along a hedgerow of an early morning or a late evening, or else hunted up in his own house in the middle of the wood, which was a serious undertaking. The badger strode heavily into the room, and stood looking at the two animals with an expression full of seriousness. The rat let his egg spoon fall on the tablecloth and sat open-mouthed. The hour has come, said the badger at last, with great solemnity. What hour? asked the rat uneasily, glancing at the clock on the mantelpiece. Whose hour, you should rather say, replied the badger. Why, Toad's hour. "'The hour of Toad. "'I said I would take him in hand "'as soon as the winter was well over, "'and I'm going to take him in hand today.' "'Toad's hour, of course,' cried the Mole delightedly. "'Hooray! I remember now. "'We'll teach him to be a sensible Toad.' "'This very morning,' continued the Badger, "'taking an armchair, "'as I learnt last night from a trustworthy source.' another new and exceptionally powerful motor-car will arrive at Toad Hall, on approval or return. At this very moment, perhaps, Toad is busy, arraying himself in those singularly hideous habiliments so dear to him, which transform him from a comparatively good-looking Toad into an object "'which throws any decent-minded animal "'that comes across it into a violent fit. "'We must be up and doing, ere it is too late. "'You two animals will accompany me instantly "'to Toad Hall, "'and the work of rescue shall be accomplished.' "'Right you are,' cried the rat, starting up. "'We'll rescue the poor unhappy animal. "'We'll convert him.' He'll be the most converted toad that ever was before we've done with him. They set off up the road on their mission of mercy, badger leading the way. Animals, when in company, walk in a proper and sensible manner, in single file, instead of sprawling across the road and being of no use or support to each other in case of sudden trouble or danger. They reached the carriage drive of Toad Hall to find, as the Badger had anticipated, a shiny new motor car of great size, painted a bright red Toad's favourite colour, standing in front of the house. As they neared the door, it was flung open, and Mr. Toad, arrayed in goggles, cap, gaiters, an enormous overcoat, "'came swaggering down the steps, "'drawing on his gauntleted gloves. "'Hello, come on, you fellows,' "'he cried cheerfully on catching sight of them. "'You're just in time to come with me for a jolly, "'to come for a jolly, for a a jolly.' "'His hearty accents faltered and fell away "'as he noticed the stern, unbending look "'on the countenances of his silent friends.' His invitation remained, unfinished. The Badger strode up to the steps. Take him inside, he said sternly to his companions, and as Toad was hustled through the door, struggling and protesting, he turned to the chauffeur in charge of the new motor car. I'm afraid you won't be wanted today, he said. Mr. Toad has changed his mind. He will not require the car. Please understand that this is final. You needn't wait. Then he followed the others inside and shut the door. Now then, he said to the Toad, when the four of them were stood together in the hall, First of all, take those ridiculous things off. Shant, replied Toad with great spirit. What is the meaning of this gross outrage? I demand an instant explanation. Take them off him, then, you two, ordered the Badger briefly. They had to lay toad out on the floor, kicking and calling all sorts of names before they could get to work properly. The Rat sat on him, and the Mole got his motor-clothes off him bit by bit. They stood him up on his legs again. A good deal of his blustering spirit seemed to have evaporated with the removal of his fine panoply. Now that he was merely towed and no longer the terror of the highway, he giggled feebly and looked from one to the other appealingly, seeming quite to understand the situation. Who knew it must come to this? "'Sooner or later, Toad,' the Badger explained severely. "'You've disregarded all the warnings that we've given you. "'You've gone on squandering the money that your father left you, "'and you're getting us animals a bad name in the district "'by your furious driving, your smashes, your rows with the police. "'Independence is all very well.' And we animals will never allow our friends To make fools of themselves Beyond a certain limit And that limit you have reached Now, you're a good fellow in many respects And I don't want to be too hard on you I'll make one more effort To bring you to reason You will come with me "'into the smoking-room, and there you will hear some facts about yourself, "'and we'll see whether you come out of that room the same Toad that you went in.' "'He took Toad firmly by the arm and led him into the smoking-room, "'and closed the door behind them. "'That's no good,' said the rat contemptuously. "'Talking to Toad will never cure him. He'll say anything.' They made themselves comfortable in armchairs and waited patiently. Through the closed door they could just hear long, continuous drone of the Badger's voice, rising and falling in waves of oratory. Presently they noticed that the sermon began to be punctuated at intervals by long-drawn sobs, evidently proceeding from the bosom of the Toad was a soft-hearted and affectionate fellow, very easily converted, for the time being, to any point of view. After some three-quarters of an hour, the door opened, and the badger reappeared, solemnly leading by the paw a very limp and dejected toad. His skin hung baggily about him, his legs wobbled his cheeks were furrowed by the tears so plentifully called forth by the badger's moving discourse. "'Sit down there, Toad,' said the badger kindly, pointing to a chair. "'My friends,' he went on, "'I am pleased to inform you "'that Toad has at last seen the error of his ways. "'He is truly sorry, "'for his misguided conduct in the past— and he has undertaken to give up motor-cars entirely, and forever. I have his solemn promise to that effect. That is very good news, said the Mole. Very good news indeed, observed the Rat dubiously. If only, if only— He was looking very hard at Toad as he said this— and could not help thinking that he perceived something vaguely resembling a twinkle in that animal's still sorrowful eye. "'There's only one thing more to be done,' continued a gratified badger. "'Toad, I want you to solemnly repeat, before your friends here what you fully admitted to me.' in the smoking room just now first you're sorry for what you've done and you see the folly of it all there was a long long pause toad looked desperately this way and that while the other animals waited in grave silence at last he spoke "'No,' he said, a little sullenly, but stoutly. "'I'm not sorry, and it wasn't folly. "'It was simply glorious.' "'What?' cried the badger, greatly scandalized. "'You backsliding animal! "'Didn't you tell me, just now in there?' "'Oh, yes, yes, in there,' said Toad impatiently. "'I'd have said anything in there.' "'You're so eloquent, dear Badger, and so moving and so convincing. "'You put all your points so frightfully well. "'You can do what you like with me in there, and you know it, "'but I've been searching my mind since and going over things in it, "'and I find that I'm not a bit sorry or repellent, really, "'so it's no earthly good saying I am now, is it?' "'Then you don't promise,' said the Badger, "'to never touch a motor-car again?' "'Certainly not,' replied Toad emphatically. "'On the contrary, I faithfully promise "'that the very first motor-car I see, "'poop, poop, off I go in it.' "'Told you so, didn't I?' "'observed the rat to the mole.' "'Very well, then,' said the Badger firmly, "'rising to his feet. "'Since you won't yield to persuasion,' "'We'll try what force can do. "'I feared it would come to this all along. "'You've often asked us three to come and stay with you, Toad, "'in this handsome house of yours. "'Well, now we're going to. "'When we've converted you to a proper point of view, "'we may quit, but not before. "'Take him upstairs, you two, and lock him up in his bedroom.' while we arrange matters between ourselves. "'It's for your own good, Toady, you know,' said the rat kindly, as Toad, kicking and struggling, was hauled up the stairs by his two faithful friends. "'Think what fun we'll all have together, just as we used to, when you've got quite over this painful attack of yours.' "'We'll take great care of everything for you till you're well, Toad,' said the mole.' "'We'll see your money isn't wasted, as it has been.' "'No more of those regrettable incidents with the police, Toad,' said the rat, "'as they thrust him into his bedroom. "'And no more weeks in hospital, being ordered about by female nurses, Toad,' "'added the mole, turning the key on him. "'They descended the stair, Toad shouting abuse at them through the keyhole, "'and the three friends then met.' "'in conference on the situation.' "'It's going to be a tedious business,' said the Badger, sighing. "'I've never seen Toad so determined. "'However, we will see it out. "'He must never be left an instant unguarded. "'We shall have to take it in turns to be with him "'till the poison has worked itself out of his system.' They arranged watches accordingly. Each animal took it in turns to sleep in Toad's room at night. They divided the day up between them. At first Toad was undoubtedly very trying to his careful guardians. When his violent paroxysms possessed him he would arrange bedroom chairs in a rude resemblance of a motor car and would crouch on the foremost of them bent forward and staring fixedly ahead, making uncouth and ghastly noises until the climax was reached, when turning a complete somersault, he would lie prostrate amidst the ruins of the chairs, apparently completely satisfied for the moment. As time passed, however, these painful seizures grew gradually less frequent and his friends strove to divert his mind into fresh channels. His interest in other matters did not seem to revive, and he grew apparently languid and depressed. One fine morning, the rat, whose turn it was to go on duty, went upstairs to relieve Badger whom he found fidgeting to be off and stretch his legs in a long ramble around his wood down his earths and his burrows Toad is still in bed he told the rat outside the door can't get much out of him except leave me alone he wants nothing perhaps he'll be better presently it may pass off in time but don't be unduly anxious now "'Look out, Rat. "'When Toad's quiet and submissive "'and playing at being the hero of a Sunday-school prize, "'he's at his artfulest. "'There's sure to be something up. "'I know him. "'Well, now, I must be off.' "'How are you today, old chap?' "'inquired the Rat cheerfully as he approached Toad's bedside. "'He had to wait some minutes for an answer.' and at last a feeble voice replied, Thank you so much, dear ratty. So good of you to inquire, but first, tell me, how are you yourself and the excellent mole? Oh, we're all right, replied the rat. Mole, he added in cautiously, gone out for a run-around with Badger. They'll be out till luncheon. So you and I will spend a pleasant morning together, and I'll do my best to amuse you. "'Now jump up, there's a good fellow. "'Don't lie moping on a fine morning like this.' "'Dear kind rat,' murmured Toad, "'how little you realise my condition. "'How very far I am from jumping up now, if ever. "'But do not trouble about me. "'I hate being a burden to my friends, "'and I do not expect to be one much longer indeed.' I almost hope not. Well, I hope not too, said the rat heartily. You've been a fine bother to us all this time, and I'm glad to hear it's going to stop. And in weather like this, and the boating season just beginning, it's too bad, of you, Toad? It isn't the trouble we mind, but you're making us miss a lot. I'm afraid it is the trouble you mind, though, replied the Toad. I can quite understand it. "'It's natural enough. "'You're tired of bothering about me. "'I mustn't ask you to do anything further. "'I'm a nuisance, I know.' "'You are indeed,' said the rat. "'But I tell you, "'I'd take any trouble on earth for you "'if only you'd be a sensible animal.' "'If I thought that, ratty,' "'murmured Toad more feebly than ever, "'then I would beg you, "'for the last time, probably.' "'to step round to the village as quickly as possible. "'Even now it may be too late. "'And fetch the doctor. "'But don't you bother. "'It's only a trouble, "'and perhaps we may as well let things take their course.' "'Why, what do you want a doctor for?' "'inquired the rat. "'Coming closer and examining him, "'he certainly lay very still and flat.' and his voice was weaker, his manner was much changed. "'Surely you've noticed of late,' murmured Toad. "'But no, why should you? "'Noticing things is only a trouble. "'Tomorrow, indeed, you may be saying to yourself, "'Oh, if only I'd noticed sooner, if only I'd done something. "'But no, it's a trouble, never mind. "'Forget that I asked.' "'Look here, old man,' said the rat, beginning to get rather alarmed. "'Of course I'll fetch a doctor to you, if you really think you want him. "'But you can hardly be bad enough for that yet. "'Let's talk about something else.' "'I fear, dear friend,' said Toad, with a sad smile, "'that talk can do little in a case like this. "'Or doctors either, for that matter. "'Still, one must grasp at the slightest straw.' And by the way, while you're about it, I hate to give you additional trouble, but I happen to remember that you will pass the door. Would you mind at the same time asking the lawyer to step up? It would be a convenience to me, and there are moments perhaps I should say a moment when one must face disagreeable tasks at whatever cost to exhausted nature. A lawyer? Oh, he must be really bad, the rat said to himself. He hurried from the room, not forgetting to lock the door carefully behind him. Outside he stopped to consider. The other two were far away, and he had no one to consult. It's best to be on the safe side, he said, on reflection. I've known Toad, fancy himself frightfully bad before without the slightest reason, but... I've never heard him ask for a lawyer. If there's nothing really the matter, the doctor will tell him that he's an old ass and cheer him up, and that'll be something gained. I'd better humour him and go. It won't take very long. So he ran off to the village on his errand of mercy. The toad who had hopped lightly out of bed as soon as he heard the key turn in the lock watched him eagerly from the window until he disappeared down the carriage drive. Laughing heartily, he dressed as quickly as possible in the smartest suit that he could lay his hands on at the moment, filled his pockets with cash which he took from a small drawer in the dressing table, and next, knotting the sheets from his bed, tying one end of the improvised rope "'around the central mullion "'of the handsome Tudor window "'which formed such a feature "'for his bedroom, "'he scrambled out, "'slid lightly to the ground, "'and taking the opposite direction "'to the rat, "'marched off light-heartedly, "'whistling a merry tune. "'It was a gloomy luncheon "'for Rat, "'when the badger and the mole at length, returned, and he had to face them at table with his pitiful and unconvincing story. The badger's caustic, not to say brutal remarks may be imagined, and therefore passed over, but it was painful to the rat that even the mole, though he took his friend's side as far as possible, could not help saying, You've been a bit of a duffer this time, Ratty. Toad, too, of all animals. He did it awfully well, said the crestfallen Rat. He did you awfully well, rejoined the Badger hotly. However, talking won't mend matters. He's got clear away for the time, that's certain. The worst of it is he'll be so conceited with what he'll think is his cleverness— that he may commit any folly. One comfort is we're free now, and needn't waste any more of our precious time doing sentry-go. But we'd better continue to sleep at Toad Hall for a while longer. Toad may be back any moment, on a stretcher or between two policemen. So spoke the Badger. Not knowing what the future held in store, or how much water, and of how turbid a character, was to run under bridges, before Toad should sit at ease again, in his ancestral hall. And that is where we close the book tonight, on this episode of Down to Sleep.